Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick a Side Podcast. My name is Joel Miranda and I'm here with River Brown and John Zakak and this is now episode 65. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Nets' big win against the Clippers, the Raptors starting to find their groove, if the Knicks are winning the Porzingis trade so far, and we will then answer the question of who the best center in the NBA is so far. Then we will talk about Bradley Beal and whether or not he's overrated, if Dame can keep up can keep the Blazers afloat with CJ McCollum and Nurkic out the Grizzlies young core and the Maverick struggles and the Golden State Warriors and before we get into the episode don't forget to review our podcast on Apple Podcasts because it helps us grow and move up in the algorithm and we thank you guys for that so episode 65 so before before we did the intro we were talking about uh stuttering you stuttered. I did I did towards towards the Dame <laughs> Towards the Dame one, because I what I wrote was kind of off. It's all good. I was like, "What? What? Why did I write that?" <laughs> okay, we got a lot of segments this episode. I believe we have ten segments. We can hop right in if you want to. We can hop right in. <laughs> Rivers over here being childish. <laughs> oh man! You know, you know. Uh, I was talking to my mom the other day, mm-hmm. and because she did not know your name, really? Yeah, she didn't know your name. <laughs> And she was like, oh, what's his name? And I was like, oh, his name is River. And then she was like, what's that in Spanish? I was like, Rio. That That's what River is in Spanish, Rio. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, what's his last name? I was like, a brown. And then she, um, she I, she's like, what's that in Latin, uh, in Spanish? I'm like, cafe. Cafe, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. cafe. So she's like, so his name is Brown River. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so she really didn't know my name for like a year? Nah, she didn't know your name. So I was like, wow. oh, wow. <laughs> Because in Spanish, she was like, wow, River Brown, that's a unique name, <laughs> River Brown. Because in Spanish, everything is kind of juxtaposed. So oh, for real? River Brown would be Brown River. So Cafe but even Rio? Your, your yeah, name, type. No, nah, nah, that's Chinese, actually. Your name would be Rio Cafe in mm. Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so like, we're gonna sound, get, sounds pretty dope, though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty unique. So, okay. We're going to go into the first segment of the episode. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. And you know I love talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They're my favorite team. So whenever Yo. they come up, I like to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. They beat the Clippers 124-120. to 120. And was this a finals preview? Because to me, I think it was. And I think this was a statement win for the Nets. They won this game and showed the entire world why they're the team to beat and People should stop overreacting to them. I know against any other teams, like the Wizards, they were bad, right? But look, against 500 teams, they're 10th in defensive rating in the NBA. They have a 9-3 record against 500 teams, and that's one of the best records in the league, if not the best in the league. The Nets are 7-2 when Harden plays. And when you see the Nets right now, when they struggle against teams like Washington, they struggle more so because they play down a competition. They're not taking them seriously. If they took every team seriously that like they played against the Clippers, the Nets would be dominant. Nobody would have a chance. I think they play up to their competition, and they play down to their competition, and that's why the scoring totals have been really high. But they mesh well. When the trade happened, I said that Harden was going to be the point guard, Kyrie was going to be the two, and KD was going to do his thing. And so far... Harden has been the point guard. He's been averaging 10-plus 10, 10 assists almost every game with the Nets, and he's been balling. 
And I said it. What, what did I tell you, Riv? I said, look, he's going to do it. He's going to switch up his game. You didn't want to believe it. Had 14 assists against the Clippers. Yeah, I said he was going to switch up his game. You didn't want to believe it. And even when he plays off ball, he's good in that too. You know, he does so many things, and he's been a great defender for the Nets as well, something that he gets knocked for a lot. I mean, for me, without a doubt, the Nets are legit. They're a legit team. And against the Clippers, their win against them proved to me that nobody should overreact over their losses to sub-500 teams. They should just react to their wins against teams like the Clippers and other teams that are good as well. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I do believe this was definitely a finals preview. And when you watched the game, you definitely felt like it was a playoff atmosphere game. You saw a lot in that game. You saw on both ends, defensively, both teams showed that they can crank it down defensively and get stops. Brooklyn, in the second half, you saw them get back in the game, get stops. And then the Clippers, you saw in the fourth quarter, I think like five minutes left, you saw them crank it down and get stops and get back in the game. I agree with you to some extent. I do think wins against the Bucks, against this team, should be the wins that we should be talking about, not loss. I mean, Washington was more of a, like, how they blew the lead, you know, just a collapse. The Cleveland games, those were just like, they was figuring it out still. I feel like Cleveland wanted it more. Yeah, a Colin Sexton explosion. That's not going to happen like like that. (laughs) But, you know, but I think this was definitely a statement win. I do think both teams showed that they're, they're really creaming the crop and they're the top three teams in the league. I want to I want to I want to praise James Harden though. He at at first he in the fourth quarter he did kind of look a little timid. You know, he made some bad mistakes a little late, but overall he played well defensively. I think all guys on the defensive end was great. Mm-hmm. Kawhi, Paul George, KD, yeah. James Harden. I do want to say though, no Pat Bev, Nicholas Batum really got exposed in that fourth quarter. I mean, offensively he did good, but with three minutes left in the game, I'm, I think they scored 15 straight points. Like, right. they was just going hunting for Nicholas Batum. I mean, <laughs> Kyrie had fun. Harden had fun. Yeah. Kevin Durant had fun. I so mean, I, they all scored over 20. Yeah, so it was just so. like, in the fourth, Batum is going to be a problem. And I think when Pat Bev, you know, plays, they don't, they're don't they not going to play him late in the fourth against this team. But I do think this game was definitely a statement win for the Nets that showed that defensively, same with the Bucks, defensively, they can crank it when they need to. And the Clippers, for them, this was also – I feel like this was a statement for them, too, because they can score offensively with the Nets. And I always thought the Clippers was going to be one of the Nets' biggest challenges. Yeah, and I agree with you, what you just said with the Clippers. You know, I got them winning the finals. You did the last Clippers. year, too. The <laughs> Clippers winning it all. So when I was watching – I watched the second half. I didn't catch the first half. Um, I would say it was a playoff atmosphere because um, a game like that – you know, you got to realize from Brooklyn's standpoint, you know, big, like their big three, they're probably saying, uh, seeing what everybody's saying about them, how they played recent games. They're like, you know what? This is the team we got to beat. Cleveland didn't matter. Washington didn't matter. If we're going to go out and make a statement to like prove we're legit, we got to win this game. And I think what River was saying, like how the Clippers like started like breaking down on defense. I think that's like the epitome of the Clippers is getting a lead, playing really well in the first half, and then yeah. defensive breakdowns and just thinking like they just coast. Like they don't keep the foot on the pedal. So I do think it was a playoff atmosphere, and I do think like we will – both of these teams I feel like should make it. And if we see them again, I, I got I got Clippers in six, man. I do think these two teams – Whoa. Oh, wow. Clippers and six. I'm not saying nothing. I do think, though, these two teams and the Lakers, I think they're above the league. Yeah, I think it's those 100%. three teams, and then the rest of the league, you can pick and choose. You can have the tier two teams like Boston, the Bucks. We did whatever. see Montrez Harrell get exposed last night against the Nuggets, though. Well, he's, 
he, he's gonna get exposed by them. Uh, just how he got exposed in the playoffs last year against the Nuggets. We did, see, which is crazy. The same he's team. Not expo- a good defender. What he's was not. what was interesting to me last night is Serge Ibaka barely played in the fourth quarter, and the Clippers decided to go small ball with the Nets, and I think that's something that's gonna benefit them that they mm-hmm. are able to go small ball with the Nets when Nets play Jeff Green at the five. So that's I think that's exactly. gonna be an interesting series for mm-hmm. them. But I definitely like the game, and I also would say. Um, Patrick Beverly, like, obviously he's not, like, offensively, like, a threat. But I do think his defensive presence, like, someone to guard up on Kyrie, like, man-to-man, you know, like, that also. Nah, yeah, he was missed. That definitely does, I think, bring a difference to the game when he scores 40 points, you know? Yeah, for me, I think right now the Nets are just going to get better. I was talking to Jack about this. I think Iman Shumpert is available to play tonight. Um, against I, the it's Raptors. Friday, right? Yeah, they yeah, said that he is. Yeah, he it, came back with the he's team. He's going to be huge for the Nets, and that's a big thing I've been seeing on like the Nets Twitter community is does Iman Shumper start for defensive purposes? See, this is what I'd say with that. I, I don't think he. I don't think he starts because I think Harris's spacing shooting, is needed. Yeah. No, he has to start. Harris shooting, has to start. Harris's right spacing yeah. is needed, even though he's the worst defender on the Nets that Uh-oh. plays a lot of minutes by far. No, the net. There's a graph for that. There's a graph for like defensive points added or like defensive okay. points stopped. And I, I Harris is like Jeff I think that's is, just on who's he's guarding, though. I think Kyrie is a much worse defender than Joe Harris. I don't think so. I mean, Jer- I Joe so. Harris is guarding the three, right? I, I think. He, yeah, he's usually guarding the three of the but four. I personally I don't think he's fast enough to. Guard. I personally feel like Kyrie Irving when he wants to lock in. Of course, his height limits him and his strength too. But when he wants to lock in, he can move his feet pretty well. He locked in against the Clippers late in that game, and he was good. I don't know about that. Now nah, I think so. But this thing about the, the Nets. Who, who did, like who did he really lock up on? Like Reggie Jackson. I mean, there was some possessions. He was on Paul George. He did a pretty good job. I mean, I know Harden was. I mean, he keep, did a great job. Harden was keeping up his own with Kawhi and Serge. He wasn't letting Serge get anything. For me, I just feel like. When the Nets get Iman, I think the closing lineup should be Iman, Kyrie, Durant, Green, and Harden. That should be the closing lineup. I think it depends on who they play, though. I think you have to have Harris out there. Just his shooting is just. I don't. I, I know he's such a great shooter, but but then again, Kyrie, like, Harden, and KD yeah, make do up you, for that. Do you need shooting when you have those three guys? In a sense, it depends. It really depends because they're, they're all shooters. Yeah, it it, it dep- I don't even know. And like Iman Shumper, like it's not his game, but if he's open, he could make it. Like he could yeah. shoot the ball like at a decent percentage. Like he's not the best three point shooter. Yeah, this the true. thing is that the Nets are going to get Iman. They're getting him back tonight, and they're still going to get a rim protector. I'm like who? Per- who do you think they're going to get? I'm one hundred percent certain they'll get a rim protector. I'm. 60% certain that rim protector will be JaVale McGee. And I say there's like a 20% chance it's Andre Drummond. And do he you, gets bought out. Do you think that letting go of Jaron Allen was worth it? Yes. Like for it, Harden. If Wait, you yes. better, better question. Do you believe Drummond is going to take that much of a pay cut? Who play with you guys? No. If he wait, hold up. If he gets bought out by the Cavs, yeah, and that he, means he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have like twenty million dollars. Yeah, but for the you year think he's willing to sit there and be like, all right, I'm gonna sign this one year like two million dollar contract? I'm gonna sign this one year half a year half a season deal with the Nets to win a championship. Yeah, I think he will. Uh, Personally, I mean, his I contract right now is like big. it's a it's lot. Big. But if he gets bought out, he do you think he the gets Cavs, to have that? Cleveland money. has been talking about trading him. They haven't yeah, been talking about they, buying him. They want to trade him. Executives are saying his value is a second round pick. Yeah, because 
what has like he's only really known been for like rebounding the past couple years. Yeah, but he's the best rebounder in the league right now. I don't now. think that's I think this year defensively though he's been really good. I don't think that's why his value was that. I think his value was that because he's a rental for any team that's going to trade for him. Because yeah, he's been being shopped around the last couple years. For me, I mean, I think a team that should get him is Boston. You know, they got the trade exception fans want and they him. need a big. So they, I mean, Andre Drummond has been linked to the Celtics for a long time. Mm -hmm. But if he does get bought out, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't go to Brooklyn, especially after he just got paid because of the buyout, and you would get to win a championship. But two names I'd keep in mind are JaVale McGee. Of course, he's a name that's Mm -hmm. floating around. And don't sleep on Bismack Biombo. I know he's not a big name. He's been playing good for the Hornets. He's He's been playing his role outside. And Bede is going to destroy him. Yes, I would totally agree with that. But... He can, you know, he can block some shots. He's athletic, and he can keep up with some guards on the perimeter. He's not that slow. I think, yeah. your, I think your small ball lineup is perfect, honestly. I, I think they're still going to get rim protector. Yeah. I mean, I do think if the Nets somehow could have kept Jared Allen, I do think nobody would have. It wouldn't even. That's make. the thing. The thing about it is he's, that. He's a rim protector. I, I like Jared Allen. The thing about it is that I think uh, Nets fans, uh, they're perspective and what they saw with their eyes was very jaded because they have an emotional attachment to Jared Allen and guys like Karis LeVert. See, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a new coming Nets fan, right? Okay. So I'll, You're I'm, I'm looking, I'm, yeah, I'm aren't looking, you a Knicks fan? You I'm, the Knicks I'm looking at everything from a, uh, from a, uh, analysis standpoint and looking mm-hmm. at it. The graph that I saw in terms of the Nets who added the most offensive points added and defensive points allowed, mm-hmm. Are you talking about Drummond? offensive real plus minus? No, nah, it's another graph. I could find it on Twitter. But DeAndre Jordan is higher up than Jared Allen in terms of points saved on defense. Mm-hmm. But yet the narrative amongst Nets fans are like Jared Allen was a way better defender. I think that Jared Allen is a good defender and missing him was, of course, a loss. I would say he's a better rim protector. But when you talk about the trade between the Nets, I mm-hmm. mean, the Nets gave up Jared Allen, Torian Prince, and Karis LeVert. For James Harden. And let, let's just be honest about this trade. Karis LeVert, we found out, had a tumor. Yeah, so He almost died. Yeah, so if he, it, one, he probably, if they found that out any point in the season for the Nets, he was going to sit out regardless for the question, year. Quick so question. the Nets really traded, hold up, the Nets really <laughs> traded Harden. Mm-hmm. The, the Nets really traded um, Prince and Allen for Harden, if we're being honest. Quick question. If Dinwiddie doesn't get hurt, did, was would he have got traded before LeVert? Yes. I don't think so. I think Levert had that value. I I think if because he's a long term guy too. They you can he's gonna be, his contract is like for three four years. I I just I I do like that you asked that question because I really do think that if he didn't get that knee in, knee injury right he got if he didn't get that knee injury I do think teams would have been saying we we want him over Levert. And and that's the thing. Though, he's probably gonna walk this year. And that's you the, think so. He's just last year's contract. And that's the thing though is that. At first, they were saying the Nets had to give up Allen, Levert, and Dinwiddie plus Prince. You just gave up Allen and Prince, basically, because Levert is going to be out for the year, most likely. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going to have him regardless. And even if he did play, he didn't have any long-term value because he probably could have got, you know, seriously Seriously impacted by not knowing that injury later on. So, it was look, Allen is a great guy, but guy, look, this is going to sound really disrespectful, but guys like Jared Allen grow on trees. I'm sorry to say that. On, on on the center position is a really undervalued position in the, in the NBA. I think the center position in the NBA now is like the running back position in the NFL. 
You can find centers that can do what Jared Allen can do. It's not that hard. You can't find guys like James Harden anywhere. You got to make that trade 10 times out of 10. It was no debate for me. Would you say that the Nets are now like win mode now? Like Yes, what, like, no, no doubt about it. They're going to do whatever it takes. And I think this year is just getting everything started because next year the guys that are going to be that are going to be willing to go to Brooklyn for cheap is going to be a long list of guys that are going to be helpful as well. We saw the same thing with Golden State the second year with Kevin Durant with guys coming there and with Cleveland when LeBron went to Cleveland. Got to win. And when Miami yeah, exactly. when LeBron went win. to Miami, you saw Shane Battier go, Ray Allen go. They got depth. The same thing is going to happen with the Nets next season. But like Riv just said, all those guys that you named who went and joined those players, they joined them after. Like, Except uh, Miami. Yeah, Miami, Miami lost before. Golden State, Cleveland, you got to win. It just depends on how you play because I think right now the Nets, when Kyrie, Harden, and KD, when we see them on primetime, they look like they have a lot of fun playing together. Yeah, definitely. And I do think the one big thing, like the biggest piece of them three, is Kyrie kind of like being available and playing. And I do think since coming back from the little hiatus, it looks like he's having fun playing basketball again and like wanting yeah. to go and play. I mean, Kyrie's having a career year. Harden is having his best year in terms of assisting since his 2016 season. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Durant is doing what Kevin Durant does off yeah, the Achilles. Literally. So I remember you fun. said he wouldn't be a top five player after the Achilles. No, I said, no, you it's said a that. wait and see. <laughs> you I said it's a wait and see. <laughs> yeah. You guys can pull up the podcast clips. <laughs> nobody's, hiding from, nobody's hiding from nothing. Uh, KD is the best scorer. But all I know is that. I bought a Kyrie jersey when he dropped 39 on the Clippers. It's coming today. It's supposed to be coming today. My Harden jersey is going to come soon. Because they're trying to delay my order until <laughs> next month, I'm going to order another Harden jersey. I'm going to get it. And then I'm going to order a Kevin Durant jersey. And, man, y'all better hope PJ's Hugger doesn't come because I'm going to order that too. Nobody's worried about him. But all I know is, look, I think the Nets are the team to beat. And I think – there is no chance, barring injury, that this team does not go to the finals. Like at all, I don't think any team in the East can beat them. I I'd, I would say about the Clippers is like they're gonna need their two guys to show up again, like LeBron and AD. But I don't know, man. I think Clippers got better. The Lakers. No, I think the Clippers got better than they did last year. Mm. So if they do, if they could get. Figure it out. I feel like, you know, going back to the saying, like, late games, their defense breaks down. And if, if you kind of look back to last season when you saw them play the Mavs, they had so many leads, blew those leads when they played the Nuggets. They were up, like, 20 points against the Nuggets, I think, in the fourth quarter in that game seven and blew it. So I think if they can kind of figure it out defensively, late game and keeping those leads, I think they'll. I think people thought when uh, Doc Rivers got fired and Tyron Lue came in, that he wasn't going to make a big difference, and he's shown that he's made a pretty big difference. Yeah. Uh, Ty Lue was needed for the culture there. Yeah, and, but I will say Doc Rivers is putting it on in yeah, Philly it was, right now. It was, it was he's a doing mu- his thing. Yeah, yeah it, was it was a good move mutual, for both. Yeah, yeah definitely absolutely. a good move for both. Yeah, no, nah, the Nets are definitely the team to beat, though. I yeah, mean, in, the, in the East, I would say. I like, like I tell people all the time, I didn't see anybody just match up purposes. I didn't see anybody outside the Bucks that can match up with them position to position. So I, I definitely do agree. I don't, I think Boston can, but I don't think they're just, I think they're just too young right now mm-hmm. to really bang with the Nets. I think Milwaukee can match up, but like I said, Giannis jump shot is going to be a game changer. I mean, they played, but like, you know, just in the playoffs, it's going to be easier to do that. But I, like I said, Teams like I remember I was talking to a Nets fan. I'm not going to say his name on the, on the podcast, but 
I was talking to a Nets fan. I think fan. I know who you, I think it, it I was think actually you see. it was two. I was talking <laughs> to them and they were like they were scared of teams like Indiana and Philly. And I was just sitting there like, why on earth would you be scared of the Pacers? Like I just Philly, yeah, Embiid is dominant, mm, but Pacers. you know they still have Ben Simmons. <laughs> the Pacers, yeah, and I said the Pacers. I just I can't get that I don't through get my that. head. Why you know, you're scared this, of? this the thing is that, that makes when, no when, sense. We, when we watched the Nets face Boston earlier this year, they blew them in out. One of the first games of the year, Kevin Durant locked up Jason Tatum easily. Yeah. Like he put him in jail. Yeah. So I think that can happen again. People forget Kevin Durant's an elite defender as well. No, he definitely wants to be, defense, yes. Yeah, exactly. When he once their to. defense starts clicking, it's going to be over. And this is my final point. Brooklyn's big three is working out better than everybody expected, especially when they face the better teams. I, I, I feel like it's working out to what, like, I don't know. Like, people did not like the trade, but I feel like if you like the trade, it's kind of working out to exactly how you thought it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, you know the stats are nice. The wins are good. Yeah. Just gotta, they just got to do what they do in the playoffs. You know exactly. Still a couple. You know you still got the narratives on Harden. You still got the narrative mm-hmm. on Kyrie. I don't think KD has a narrative anymore, other than he's a snake. So that's not. Yeah, yeah that's not really anything. burner accounts. Yeah, but so you know they just got to do it in the playoffs. And once mm-hmm. they do it in the playoffs, then Harden will finally be a winner instead of a loser. I and mean, he's a winner now in my eyes. Well, if your he eyes doesn't mean, win a yeah. ring with this team, <laughs> he's gonna win a ring with this team. He might win two. I think I can see two. I yeah. can see zero. Yeah, uh, honestly. Yeah, I can exactly. See two, I can, I can see, see it going either way. I mean, I know he's gonna win, man, because he's been a winner. So when he doesn't win, like, yeah, if he doesn't win, what don't are you gonna ever say? Speak to me ever <laughs> again, not, my James Harden. It's not gonna happen. Look, I, for football, if you watch this podcast, you know that I've been on the Bucks bandwagon all year. Mm-hmm. Look, my team for basketball is the Nets. Are you gonna see what's gonna happen this year? Everything that I'm saying <laughs> from this point. To the end is religion. So, so you think that every bandwagon you hop on, they just win a, they just win a ring. Everything I say about a team that I'm a hundred percent backing is gospel. So right now, <laughs> what I'm saying about the Nets is gonna happen. What I said about the Bucks all year, you, you go you back. You said what a lot of people said though. So it's like come not on. with and, the Bucks, and, and not he, with the Bucks. And he just said before the podcast that he was a Chiefs fan last year. You know he 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 he's I'm not gonna expose him, but he has a lot of bad takes and a lot of wrongs. But I ain't gonna say no. I'm gonna let him have his little flowers here. Not when I when I'm only wrong when I when I uh, purposely am wrong. Yeah, it's no. not because oh, okay. yeah, yeah. It's not because you are. It's wrong. like it's like facing a little kid in Madden. I only let you win when you know. Yeah, because I, I let bad. you win. Like yeah. I'm wrong because I let myself be wrong. Yeah, exactly. that's how you think. That's right? how it is. Yeah. <laughs> the next team we're gonna talk about is the Toronto Raptors. They started out really bad. To start the season, uh, there was a lot of turmoil around them. They had to play in Tampa Bay instead of Toronto, so that probably had a lot to do with it. But they're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, and the Toronto Raptors look really good. Fred Van Vliet had a career-high 54 points, mm-hmm. a monumental day for him. Do you think that the Toronto Raptors are going to make the playoffs? I think they have a big chance. I think everything is starting to get into form. I think the defense is getting back. Players are starting to understand their role. You even see Pascal Siakam. He's been playing really well the mm-hmm. last three, four games. You know, Fred Van Vliet had the big explosion. And, you know, they have Kyle Lowry. He's been the most consistent player on the team. He's been their guy. I'm looking at their next couple games. You know, Brooklyn, L. Atlanta, I can see them they getting that win. win. Memphis, they can get that win. Then they got Washington. They should win that. Boston's going to be a tough one. And then Minnesota, that's a win, and then Milwaukee, Milwaukee, and then Minnesota. So they got some tough back to backs coming up, but I, I, I can see them definitely getting back in the hunt. And with the East, you know, there's a lot of after uh, the fifth seed. There's a lot of teams that are just hunting Atlanta, mm-hmm. us, the Knicks, 
Toronto. So it's just teams. Hunting. Yeah, the Hornets. You better put the Knicks before the Bulls. You said the Bulls first. You better say the Knicks first next time. That's just you're, a warning. You're not even a Knicks fan. Yeah, you're literally, you just. I got a Knicks hat right there. But you literally you're just, were just talking about the Nets. The Nets and you're, the and you're just like, about to say, yeah, I'm ordering I'm three a, Nets jerseys. I'm, I'm a and fan of New York. <laughs> <laughs> what? Anyways, yeah, I definitely do. I definitely can see them making the playoffs. They just have to continue on with the stretch that they're going through. See, with me, I, I just get to that Knicks point for a second. I'm ordering. I'm ordering Nets Yo, jerseys. This. I'm ordering Nets jerseys. What what Knicks jerseys are you ordering this season? None. And the reason <laughs> the reason why is because with the Knicks, you don't know how long players are going to stay with them. Okay. That's why I have to be really cautious about the players that I order. You don't know how long yeah, Harden's going to stay with them. I was just going to and Kyrie, but they're. They're so great that I don't care. Julie said RJ Barrett. I'm not going to order a Julius Randle jersey. He's probably going to leave next season. He's having a He's having a career. RJ Barrett. We never know what's going to happen. What if he gets traded for Donovan Mitchell or something? What the hell? Why would they accept that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But look, let's talk about the Raptors. You talked about the Nets being a. They actually face the Nets tonight. Um, I'm not sure that that's a bona fide loss like you made it seem like. I think. They have a chance to win the game, especially when the Nets play down a competition. Not that the Raptors are a bad team, but the Nets possibly could blow this game just based on how they've been playing against the lower teams. But their next 10 against the Nets, the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Wizards, the Celtics, the Timberwolves, the Bucks twice, then the Timberwolves, then the 76ers. I think they can go like six and four in that stretch. The same the same record they had the last 10 games. I think Toronto Raptors. They have all the talent to go on a run here and mm-hmm. make it into the playoffs. When you look at the teams that are in front of them right now, currently in the standings, it's the Hornets, the Hawks, the Cavs, and the Knicks. Do I expect the Cavs to be as good as they are if they lose Drummond, which they're they're shopping right now? I don't. The Knicks I like, but you know they're mostly a defensive-oriented team. Are they're they a one-man defensive team. Mitchell Robinson keeps them alive. That's the cap. And Julius Randle. Uh, for Payton. It's really good defensively. They, and they run one through five. They run great defensively. If you look at the numbers, though, if if you take Julius Randle off offense and Mitchell Robinson off defense, their numbers are horrible. I understand that. Oh, yeah, but let's take the watch best. the tape, though. You know, like defensively, no, I, they're no, all like zoned. And in. then you got the Hawks, who have been dealing with mad injuries. It seems like they're they have not played with their full lineup that they got from free agency yet. Bogdanovich has been injured. Gallinari mm-hmm. has been in and out. Cam Reddish has been out some games, and so was Hunter. I don't even Hunter hasn't even been playing recently. Yeah, he didn't play last game. Yeah, yeah so no. they haven't been playing with their full lineup. So there's a lot of stuff going on there, and I like the Hornets a lot. But Terry Rozier is hurt, so this is a chance for <laughs> that's a big. That's a big mm-hmm. uh, this is right a there. chance for the Raptors to make that run. Norman Powell is playing now how he was playing last year. He started mm-hmm. out the season really slow. Ananobi's oh, balling. Yep, he's balling too. So I think the Raptors. I would say they're going to make the playoffs because I just trust in that roster so much. Yeah. I don't think they tank like people on Twitter have been saying they should. Why would like, they? People have been talking about trading Kyle Lowry. I don't think they trade Kyle Lowry. Um, and when you have a coach as good as Nick Nurse, they'll find a way to get back into the playoff race. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, their rankings in the league right now, they rank top 20 in everything besides rebounds. And I think down the stretch, they'll they'll figure that out. You know, like rebounding situation, they they won't have a problem with it, and I do think that they make the playoffs. That like the teams like the Knicks and and the Cavs, it might just be too early. You know, like just early season, teams might not be like taking them as serious yet. So I don't think they're going to keep winning and and stay as high as they do. I like like both you guys said. I think the Raptors are going to start to get everybody back, figure it out, and make a little run. 
they have lost four games by four points or less. And it's even, I think they've lost about 10 games within like 10 points. So a lot of the Raptors games, games have been really close games and have come down to a possession or two. They're ninth in defensive rating right now. So their mm-hmm. defense is still very solid. They have just been waiting on that offense to pick up. When they lost Serge and Marc Gasol, they thought Aaron Baines was going to come in and at least take some of the pressure off of, you know, the offense and hit some shots. But Aaron Baines mm-hmm. has been horrible since he got signed there. Chris Boucher kind of took the load on himself, and he's been fantastic. But I think overall, the success of the Raptors is going to be on Siakam and the other role players. I think Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry are going to remain consistent, but it's whether if OG and Norman can keep doing their thing. Nine games, they have lost under 10 points. So it's been nine and then five under five points. So it's situation... Same thing with Toronto that's been happening for a while. Who's going to be their closer? Kawhi's exactly. gone. Who's going to be the guy mm-hmm. that's going to finish the game? And you paid Pascal to be that guy, and he has to be that guy. I mean, against the Kings, he didn't really, you know, show any flashes. But, you know, they beat Orlando twice, so that's that's a common good win. They got to show me something against Brooklyn tonight. You know, they got to fight. I, At least I, a competitive game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a competitive game. But the reason why I say I think Brooklyn's going to win because I don't see any fear. And I think Brooklyn's going to come to play tonight. I think they know Toronto aren't slouches regardless of their record. But I just think – I don't think Toronto is going to keep up with them scoring-wise. But at the same time, yeah, I don't think Toronto should tank. I think they have the pieces to make a run. I think they have the pieces to make any playoff series tough. It's just if they can continue the consistency. I mean, Fred VanVleet, he has been consistent. Kyle Lowry, he has been consistent. It's just the other guys that got to step up. Pascal has to step up and elevate his game. Mm -hmm. And if he can do that, then they'll go on the stretch. I feel like – Pascal is one of the biggest pieces to this team because, like you said, they paid him a lot of money. And I do feel like last season he was, like, trying to do too much. Like, they kind of gave him that, like, yo, here's this contract. We really want you to be that guy. And then he took on that role, and I don't think he was ready for it. So I kind of feel like this season he's like, you know, let me try to mesh in with what everybody else is doing instead of have everyone else mesh with what I'm doing. He went from a number two for a championship team, number two, three, you know, however you want to flicks it, to a number one all-star appearance last year, to a bubble failure, to now being compared to Jamie Grant. Exactly. Like This is the thing with Seattle. Is that, I, what a, what think, a crazy yeah. turn of events. I think in this fi- in the finals run with Kawhi. He played great. When he Sometimes. You know, he was very inconsistent. I think the he second played great best, at home, I want to say I that. think the second yeah, okay, best yeah. player, the second best player on that team was Kyle Lowry. And in he the finals. He definitely big shots. In the finals, outside of game one, Siakam was very inconsistent. Out mm-hmm. Game one was the only explosion game. Yeah. And his skill set is really not geared towards being the number one scorer on the offense. I don't like his offensive game, really. Yeah, he, it's not really geared towards that. He can be the second or third, but he can't be the first. And I think it's just better for the Raptors as a whole if they stop trying to force feed him the ball yeah. and have him take a bunch of shot attempts and just you know play within the offense. And I think that's what they've been doing recently. Right now, their best scorer on the team is Fred Van Vliet, and he's doing his thing. Kyle Lowry, I ought to put close second, but Kyle Lowry is an unselfish player that likes to get everybody involved, so he's going to let Fred shine. And I think Fred is taking on that challenge you know, well. That's why I wanted him on the Knicks because I thought he was going to do some good things for the Knicks as well. But, you know, he stayed in Toronto, and he's doing his thing. But how successful can you be with your best scorer being Fred Van Vliet? I mean, the thing is, I think you can it, it depends. I mean, I think the Raptors have a limited ceiling as is. Yeah. But I also believe that they can make it. They can shock 
a team in the first round and make it to the second round. And, you know, after that, anything goes because their best scorer is Fred Van Vliet in terms of, you know, a guy who can get up their shot at any time. But I think Siakam, like, they just have a bunch of guys collectively that can put the ball in a basket, you know, at any time. That's why it gets so hard in crunch time because everybody's pretty much the same. So who gets it? Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, nobody has really stood out and said, yep. and this you, is my you, team. You need, that, yeah. you need that so, in the yeah, playoff the situation. Because, like, if we do, if they do, if they can shock some, they would have to see a team like Philly, a team like Boston. They don't want to see the Nets in the first round. No. And Boston already beat them last year. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough depending on how they get in. I mean, if they could see an Indiana – they can steal the series, I believe, but I, I just I'm not confident in the team because, like you said, they don't have a guy who's going to be like, all right, this is my team. I'm going to take it over two minutes left. They just have a bunch of guys collectively, and I think that's what haunted them in the series against Boston last year. They didn't have a guy who really took over took over the game at one point. Like they just had a bunch of guys who played team basketball, played ball the right way. But in, in a playoff it's series, I feel like you so far. yeah, you just need that guy that just takes over a game for about two three minutes. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, eh, Toronto, uh, I don't know, man. They should be able to sneak an eighth, but I mean, I think if so. the bull, if the Bulls keep playing like they do, you never know, man. I've been calling them overrated for like two years, so <laughs> I'm gonna stick to what I say. The New York Knicks made a trade with the Dallas Mavericks about two years ago. This was a trade. The Knicks received DeAndre Jordan, <laughs> Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Matthews, an unprotected first round pick, and a unprotected 2023 first round pick. They have an unprotected 2021 and 2023 first round pick. The Mavs received Christos Porzingis, Trey Burke, Courtney Lee, and Tim Hardaway Jr. So I think it's all safe to say the Knicks only got DSJ and these two first round picks from this trade and Dallas got Porzingis, Hardaway, and that's it. Because Trey Burke left and came back, so I don't think that really counts. So... I mean, to this point, Porzingis has not been New York Porzingis in Dallas yet. Mm-hmm. And just just to be fair, that offseason when the Knicks signed Julius Randle, I said Julius Randle was better than Christos Porzingis. This year, he's been proving me right. Wait, last wait, wait, year, wait, 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 wait. Last year, Julius <laughs> Randle was... No, add in the middle. I flipped my pick and said Porzingis was better, and now you're flipping moment, back. Yeah, now moment, you're flipping back. I thought what Julius Randle's doing doing this year, I thought he was going to do last year. That's why I called him better at the moment. Now he's doing his thing. You know, I think it's safe to say Julius Randle has been playing better than Chris Hosperzingis. But the question is, do you think that the Knicks to this point have been winning this trade? Because right now, that 2021 first-round pick is top 10 in the lottery. The Knicks could currently get a top 10, top 5 pick. You know, maybe it goes to number 1 with that Dallas pick because they've been playing so bad. So, in hindsight, who do you think won or lost this trade? I think the the deal as a whole, Dallas was banking on Porzingis being healthy. And I think that was always going to be the risk. Can Porzingis be healthy? He hasn't been healthy. I mean, we saw him in the bubble play against the Clippers. He was really playing well. Got hurt. He comes back this year. He hasn't. They've kind of turned him into like a spot-up shooter. They kind of did what they did to Laurie. on the... Yeah, like what they did to Laurie in Chicago kind of just made him a guy who just stands out there and chucks up threes. But I think with his frame, he's not really going to post up anybody. Mm-mm. He's not quick on his feet like he used to be. So it, it's like even like against the Warriors, you see him getting exposed on the wing. Like he couldn't guard wings. He was getting exposed a lot. So this, in a sense, if Dallas doesn't make the playoffs and if the Knicks gets another lottery pick and they make the playoffs, that would be a 
that would be great because now you have the success of making the playoffs. So now free agents are looking at the Knicks as a landing spot. And you bringing in a lottery pick in a loaded draft. I think you can't say the Dallas Mavericks won the trade because it's not like they got a championship out of this. They didn't even get a playoff series win out of this trade. So bearing any, if all this plays into part, I think you can say the Knicks won the trade. Still early, but as of right now, the Knicks are definitely winning. And I'm agree with that. Right now, I would say like the Knicks are winning because the best best ability is availability. You can have LeBron James on your team. If he's hurt, what does that do for you? You know, so I do think that if the Knicks, like, like Riv just said, if everything goes well and they get the picks they want and the guys they want, they should definitely win this trade. See, for me, I- I'm super ecstatic that this is happening because about a year ago, Dallas Mavericks fans, a Dallas Mavericks fan uh, pulled up one of my old tweets talking about the Mavericks mm-hmm. and how they were gonna not, not going to be anything after this trade regardless. <laughs> and I had the Mavericks Twitter just completely ambushed me from all directions. I'm getting hate tweets. I'm getting, you know, a bunch of my tweets popping up on the TL. And then a year later, I wish I could figure out whose account added me (laughs) because I could add them back. But this is the thing. The Dallas Mavericks, I think to an extent they overachieved last year, even though I think they were phenomenal. We'll talk about the Dallas Mavericks later on in this show. And then, you know, I'll go more in depth. But when talking about the Mavericks, I just feel like, Christos Porzingis was never that post-up player. He was always a face-up player, and he was always kind of a spot-up shooter, even with the Knicks. You don't he, think early in his career he was having his back to the basket a little bit? Maybe it was like no. rookie year? No, I think he was more of a face-up guy, but he wasn't a guy that was going to pummel you in the post and try to get buckets like that. He was always a perimeter-oriented big man. Mm-hmm. That's what he was. And his defense was always kind of like mm-hmm. questionable. And the only reason why the Knicks were going to lose this trade is because we all expected Dallas was going to get a potential superstar on Kristaps, mm-hmm. and these picks were going to be worthless. They were going to be, like, in the bottom 20. Yeah. But, Ray, if I'll even, I'll, I won't even talk about what you talked about. What if the Knicks don't make the playoffs? I hope they don't because now you got two lottery picks, the Dallas, um, the Dallas one and the Knicks one. Mm-hmm. What if with the Dallas one you get a top five pick and you have the opportunity to draft Jonathan Kuminga, Kate Cunningham, no, Jalen Green or Jalen Suggs or um, Evan Mobley. No, he's done. He's done. He's done. I remember we was talking about the Knicks one time, and I said, I don't think they should make the playoffs because this draft is so loaded. He literally said on here, you're a fool for thinking that way. And now you're talking about you want that to happen. Yo, this guy is crazy. No, I'm saying, no, I didn't oh, say I want that to happen. Just, no, I said, what if it does? So right now, as a, I guess, Knicks fan, what do you want them to do? I want them to be as competitive as they can yeah. be. And I want them to finish off the season as strong as they can finish it. But I'm just saying, potentially having two lottery picks and one of the most stacked draft classes that we've seen in a while. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, the last couple of draft classes have been stacked. But if the Knicks can potentially draft a Jalen Green, a Kuminga, a Cade Cunningham, a Jalen Suggs with this, with this Dallas pick, then I think, you know, if these players turn out to be as good as you know we think they are going to be, the Knicks won this trade, no doubt. Definitely because a good start. Yeah, Christos exactly. Porzingis coming off an ACL injury in New York, going to Dallas, and then having knee surgery after the bubble, there's a lot of question marks about Porzingis. If the Mavericks somehow make playoffs this year, then that pick would just be like a... It would just be, you know, like, you like know, 15 a, or 20 around there, depending on how far they go in the playoffs. I, I, I agree. I think even if, you know, looking at 
the Mavericks losing, and if the Knicks don't make the playoffs, even if they get a plan, I think that's still a lottery pick. Yeah, because you technically don't make it. Yeah, so it's like sneaking in and possibly getting two, like hypothetically getting that two would, top five picks. I guess it's best. You're getting scenario. potentially two superstar changing guys, so that's going to be a jump start in their rebuilding process, and I think that would be a huge get, and I think Dallas, you know, Mark Cuban, we can trust him. He's going to make moves. He's going to get that team back. Money, man. He knows that. I think we all thought Porzingis was definitely a top 15, top 20 talent in the NBA. I mean, he is. Yeah, I think we still believe in him, but I think just the injuries to him injuries. and how they've been inconsistent, you know, I, I think the team is definitely regretting that Josh Richardson trade. I think they've been bad on both ends, offensively and defensively, with him. Showing no effort. The three-point, they've dropped in three-point percentage. They're not the best that they was last year. They've dropped in damn near every offensive category this year. And mind you, this is with Luka playing phenomenal. But it's just like I think this team as a whole isn't the same fun, exciting offense as it was last year. I agree. And Porzingis isn't helping that cause. I mean, we'll talk about Dallas later on in the show. <laughs> but I'll just say it here. If you guys want, you know, when the segments are out, you can guys go to the Dallas segment. But I'll just give you guys a sneak peek, and I'll tell you guys my thoughts right now. I think that Chris Haas Porzingis isn't being utilized correctly and the answer to his struggles is not posting up like a lot of people think it is. I just think he is being used wrongly. And Steven Silas going to Houston and leaving that coaching staff is affecting him more than people think. Mm. He was huge for them. You see how Houston is playing right now mm. when everybody's bought in. Yeah, it's funny how they're playing great when Harden leaps. Yeah, they weren't going to be a championship contender regardless. They weren't a championship contender with him. Hey, it looks like they're playing with a lot more effort now. Yeah, they're they're a a playoff (laughs) team with him, without him. They weren't a playoff team with him. At the end of the day, who cares? Because Harden wanted to go win a championship. Houston is just trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, he ran from the grind. Yeah, no, no, he definitely ran from the grind. It's levels to the grind. Yeah, I would agree. He couldn't do it alone. It's fine. He couldn't do it No, no player could do it alone. I fail to differ. Yeah, who? I would actually like to hear this one. Well, AI did it kind of alone. Dirk kind of did it alone, you know. That's LeBron kind of, yeah. did it alone. Well, who did Dirk? Who, who no, is, you mean they they won a championship? Oh, I'm just mean getting there. Harden can't even get there. Damn, I mean, you faced the best team to ever be assembled in the NBA and then you blew it. The you blew a three two lead. You know, happens. I mean, that's not that bad. Three two is not as bad as. I mean, you missed twenty seven straight threes. You know. Yeah, it's the best team. You to blow it. Tw- you blow a fifteen point lead. That's yeah, we, yeah. It's pretty heavy. The Warriors are the best team to ever be assembled. Kevin I'm Durant goes down. You lose at home. That's, I don't think they're the, uh, the best regular season team. You you talking about with Durant, Curry, oh, and oh, Draymond? Oh, nah, oh he lost to Curry alone. You forget that? One, the two. team wasn't as good. Yeah, but he was the second seed. They must have been something. They got yeah, something. They wasn't the second. That's that team. You was go, going crazy that year when that starting lineup was no. That starting lineup when uh, Harden got the that second was with Dwight. seed was Dwight Howard, Jason Terry, Corey Brewer, and Ariza. Corey Brewer did not start. So it was James Harden. Oh, it was Pat Bev Harden. Yeah, wasn't Gerald Green playing on the? I don't think he was on that team yet. And Pat Bev was injured that series, I believe. No, he played. Steph he Curry played? gave him 30. So it was Pat Bev, Harden, Ariza, um, Howard, and Terrence Jones, I believe. Yeah. I mean, that's not a great lineup. I mean, outside, you were second so seed for a reason. Yeah, because Harden was that great in the regular season. Yeah, I know. That, and right now, that's his narrative, just great regular season player. I mean, when he wins. No, no, know, no. When Kevin Durant we'll wins, I know. We'll talk about yeah. it. Kevin Durant. That's the Kevin Durant effect, actually. No, that's all three of their effects. No. Yeah. Kevin Durant show. <laughs> it really is. You're just nah. a guest. You'll see. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about it, we can hit on Harden all day, but at the end of the day, Chicago's not doing nothing. Harden has made the playoffs. That's in fine. Atlanta. Harden has made the playoffs 
in his tenure with Houston more times than the Bulls have in the last I don't know how many That's years. That's a lie. You do know that, right? You just lied. He made the playoffs eight, eight straight years. We made it from 2006 to 2016. You mm. really just lied. I can't believe you lied like that. Every single year they made it? Yeah, I can't believe you just lied like that. That's cap. But yeah, it was like first round exits every year though. Besides 2011, we made the ECF. Yeah, we made the second round like once or twice. Yeah, that's cap. cap. No, you're cap. That's, that's it. Cap. You're cap. What about but, the Knicks? No, no. But hold on. But before, I'll say this, but to kind of defend him a little, the Bulls didn't have a series win. Uh, before 2011, it was Facts. since 1998. So we went like 12, 13 years without a series win. We also didn't have James Harden. Our best player was Derrick Rose in the last 20 yeah. years. He was an MVP. I mean, one year. Then he got hurt. I mean, we have the greatest player ever. So it doesn't matter yeah, what so you say. Like you're trying to compare yeah, yeah, you have one Ewing. player to a whole organization. You have Patrick I mean, he's Ewing. been better than your organization in these recent years. In so, recent years, yes. I, I would agree with you. Like, but he's no longer with the organization. So it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, <laughs> So I'm just saying. But you can hit him. I'm going to just say want. he had to go to that to even when ever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, every player, every superstar player has done that. Wrong. Um, outside of outside of Steph, I mean, Dame's never done it. Steph's never wait, done. Wait, hold it. up, hold up. Every superstar player that has won a championship has done it in the past ten plus years. I mean, you look at you look at uh LeBron going to Miami. Yes, LeBron I agree with Cleveland, you. Cleveland, team with Kyrie. His whole love. career is ring chasing. You look at Kevin Durant going to Golden State and helping out Steph Curry get that other ring because the first one was a fluke when they beat the um injured Cavs team and then they blew the three one lead. In my opinion, blowing a three one lead is worse than blowing a three two lead. That, that's not nah, Finney. It, it's that's even, the fu- best it's even, wait, but it's even funnier when <laughs> you're never in that situation. It's like crazy to so me how I you're think, never in it. I think that's um, Curry's team was very good too. I'm just saying, Houston never home home grew their team. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Harden has always had a recruit. It's or hard go. to home grow. Many team, teams though. in the NBA are, are so home that's why every grown. every player has gone and ring chased at one point or one point or another if their organization has not been able to surround them with that team and the players that usually stay are the ones who end up regretting it when they retire kind of like how dame might if he doesn't win a ring but then again damon said he doesn't care because he's rich um but then you look at Giannis not signing i mean re-signing with the bucks there's a lot of examples so i'm just saying i'm glad that harden went to go and win everybody talks about how he's not a winner yet he's sacrificing everything to go and win with the brooklyn nets and he's, he's what is sac- he sacrificing? I just want to sacrifice his game. I just want like to what? I just want to say this. If anything, his game is better now. No, but he sacrificed what he did in Houston. And if you hear him in the post game, yeah, you want to win. He wants if, to win. If you hear him in the post game interviews, all he says is that he wants to win. Yeah. And he's been saying that for the past couple of years. I just want to say. So this. I'll happily rock my novelty James Harden beard with my jersey. You know what? I would love to see you rock that beard the whole episode. I, just, I, I would do. I'm it. gonna just I say really this and be done with this. Ring chasing with Kevin Love and Kyrie is a lot different than ring chasing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Just want to say that it's just completely different. It's the same to do. It's the same as doing it with Bosh and Wade. No, because Bosh isn't Kyrie yes. and oh, Wade. Wade know. was a top five player. Wade was for a season. He was he was literally on his last leg. Yeah, but that was nobody one, knew he was gonna be on his last. Arguably, leg. that part was yeah. But ring chasing with Kevin Love and Kyrie—that's arguably the best team ever assembled, though. The Heat. Well, my the Heat. Arguably, arguably, top, like they're one of the best teams ever assembled. Debatable, one of, because Warriors and the Bulls are obviously the the top two arguments. But the Bulls were like half homegrown. Bro, we had like two players that came up. Who? Pippen wasn't. He was homegrown. Pippen was drafted. Not Pippen. Uh, Rodman. 
Rodman was after the first three P. And um Ron Harper. Harper. And he was like oh. And uh, all like the, all those big men that we had coming in. Ron Harper was their defensive stopper. Yeah. Well Horace Grant I, I believe was holding grown too. Well, I'm just saying it doesn't matter. These teams had talent. So every every player is going to try to better the situation. I'm not mad at it. Go get Chet. Go go win. Go win that championship. But I'm not mad at it. What I'm trying to say is, if Brooklyn wins, do you think people are going to say like, like about James Harden is like, oh, like he could only win with that, like how people said about Kevin Durant, he only won because he went to the best team ever. Um, I mean that's not the Nets are not the best team ever won, but even if they do, who cares? Because at the end of the day, um, when straight barbershop talk. At, at the, at the <laughs> yeah. end of the day, fifteen years from now, when you are going on a land of basketball, and you are <laughs> comparing two players, the only thing you're going to care about is that next to James Harden's name and accomplishments, it's going to say, when it says championships, it's going to have a one or two next to it. You're not going to. You only about have him. Else. You only have this team winning one or two. I, I'm just saying, you know, hypothetically, I'm just saying because I mean. When we talk about old players from back then, like Jordan or whoever, you know, we or Magic, we talk about oh they Larry had Bird. they had oh yeah him too they had the, these much championships. We don't go into context about it because at the end of the day, everybody that's looking on from the future does not care. They just care that they did it. But you want to know what? And one of my one of my boys always says this, and I think this is like the best thing to say, like between old players, like. We didn't, you know how like how we never watched Jordan play, like so we couldn't cr- criticize him on his career. We can only criticize him on what we see on like the highlights that we see. Like people are so quick to criticize p- players like Kyrie, James Harden, LeBron, all these because we watch them all the time. So we're able to criticize them when they're bad and when they're good. Like you, you didn't watch every single J- Magic Johnson game to be able to like, I wish to, like see that one bad game to be like. To where, like, the media today would have a field day with. You know what I'm saying? Like, social media narratives now aren't really, don't help I mean, players you, you look at it right now, uh, people still think that James Harden's step back is a travel. You know, so there are still a lot of people that are not the, that the smart. Two step, the two-step step back? Yeah, there are a lot of people <laughs> that still don't aren't that very smart when it comes to basketball. I mean, refs have called it a travel before. The thing about it is that in 20 years, every player is going to be using that move. So That's because people have yet to realize that, it, that it's a now a a rule that you can do that. I mean, a gather step has always been a rule. Yeah, but it, it, first of all, but the way he's doing it, need, it looks like a travel. No, first of all, it looks like it because he's mastered it. So first of much. all, in the NBA, they don't even call it regular travel when they regular travel. So Giannis it, will take four steps know, down the lane. The, the reason the reason they don't do that is because they don't want to slow down the game too much. Sometimes they let calls go just to not slow down the game. How's, then again, that takes that it away make, from yeah, the game. Sense. Not really, because it's like you don't want to slow down the game too much and be so nitpicky about every single call. Especially when the travel is is not like um, a player traveling is not impeccative of how the play would have ended up, right? Like so let, let's say if take Le- the rule out in general, then no. Like let's say if LeBron's on a fast break, okay, and there is nobody there to stop him, he shouldn't and, be taking he, three steps. Okay, but I'm just saying he just so happens to take three steps. Call the travel. No, I'm saying sense, why? Why would you call the? Why would you call why it? Why have if the he rule? was going to make the shot anyway? Why like, nobody was there to stop. No, yeah, you're not making sense. Why have the rule then? If you're gonna just avoid so it, that you know no, what I got. I let mean, me compare. Refs have, refs have talked about it before. Let me like I'm gonna compare this. So if someone hits a home run in baseball and the ball ba- bounces back into the field to play and they catch it, should it be an out? Yes, but that's totally what? different. No, yes, it is because he clearly hit the home run, right? Okay, 
So why why should he still be able to get out? Okay, so let me get let me do this hypothetical because that is not like that does not compare to a travel. You know, so it's basically taking a point away. This that's is, what he's trying to say. Yeah, is, exactly. That's this what. is this is a better way to look at it. Let's say Harden makes a three point shot. <laughs> okay, and it bounces on the ground, goes back into the hoop, and then goes back into the hoop again. It goes up the hoop and then into the hoop again. Like from the would, bottom. What's yeah. the rule? It, would you count? The it's basket? no basket. No. You don't think so? No. So you mean wait, wait, Joel. So you mean to tell me if a gr- if wait if a grown <laughs> if a grown man that's played ball travels in a full court, you're not going to call it travel because nobody's in front of him on a fast break? It depends on how bad it is, but if it's just three steps, like we've why? seen, you're a grown man. You, you learned yeah. basketball your whole and life. And you're talking why are you about three steps. Some like people consider him the greatest basketball player ever. You should not be taking he is one of them because it slows down the, the game. game. Because yeah. you travel, you're taking, no, you don't I'm know how to take you, steps. I'm just telling you what refs have said before. Like I, I, I've yeah. watched, I've watched. Do you refs. agree with that? I mean, to an extent, yeah. Because I think to this point right now, the NBA has way too many fouls. So I don't want them. To, I don't want them to stop the game every single time somebody does something. Uh, people carry all the time in the NBA. They're not stop. They're not yeah, blowing the, a whistle for that all the time. Um. So it, it's kind of like pass interference in football. Do you think they should not call it because it slows the game down? I mean, they don't call it a lot, a lot of times. I mean, they, they let the corners hand fight and vice versa. So, like the, what was that that playoff game, that crucial pass interference? No, yeah, that. but like, that's what I'm saying. It's annoying to call pass interference a lot. Look, Tampa Bay versus the um, Packers, that game, people were annoyed as hell. Yeah, the whole game. That. People, the whole game, people, they were hand fighting. People were annoyed as hell with the mm-hmm. last call that, uh, that uh, Johnson got. Because they thought that, oh, it was passing interference, but you guys have been letting that slide go the whole game. game. Yeah. Okay, so that's the thing. Like, you know, where's the balance? People are going to get tight regardless. In my opinion, I like hand fighting between the corners and the wide receivers. Yeah. Let them play. So I would be annoyed as hell if they call the flag each time there's a little bit of, of a scuffle. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd be but tight. Like my, it slows the game my down. It's not good for the game. Is that if you, if you watch the NBA a lot today, you see a lot of travels. I agree to an extent. Not that much. I, I, I just think that refs, they have said this in interviews, they pick and choose when to call the calls. It just depends. It's obvious. It just yeah, depends on tell. it just depends on the rhythm of the game. If it's like the fourth quarter, they're going to be more stricter with the call. But if it's the first quarter and it's a fast break, ah, just let them, get like, you know, what's the point of calling this call now? It's like, it's just going to slow the game like down too much. I feel like it just ruins much. the game a little bit, though. Like, you wasn't calling it then, but now you're going to call it now. Like, it I could mean, be I such think, a crucial, like, I mean, crucial, me, you know. For me, I think that travels, like, of course, they're a big part of the game and a rule, and it is enforced a lot. But I'm just saying that I think a rule that has to be enforced more is what Trey Young does in terms of drawing fouls and backing into players. Yeah, and I got what you. Luca did yesterday Jumping into players like that should be a call. That D Wade kind of started that though. I think the, fouls in general, they call too many nitpicky fouls. I okay, think the so, game should be a little so, more physical. So, okay, so they call too many fouls, and what does that do? That slows the game down. Slows the game down, yes, but it's also like they don't let the players get physical with each other. Like it's at one yeah. point, like let them, like you can let them touch each other a little. You can let each other get aggressive. Like you don't have to call the little nitpicky fouls. But at the same time, I do agree with you in a sense. Like, I get, like, they don't call travel sometimes because it slows the game down. But at the same time, you got to look at this, bro. You guys are grown men. Like, you've played the game for a long time. Your whole life. Like, this is a fundamental. This is a skill. You should know this in the back of your head. Two steps not I to mean, travel. Th- I mean, then again, you are you are acting like uh, players are doing this, like, every possession. Not every possession, but 
I don't think they do it as often as you guys are implying that they do it. I think it, I, think I think players lot, are think, getting away think, with it a lot more than you think. No, because I think there's a mis, misconception in what is a travel and what is not in terms of the basketball community. I'm not talking about I've step seen, backs. I'm yeah, talking about not I'm talking about straight backs. like going to the lane, not taking step backs, one extra step. But I've seen I've seen a lot of people, you know, argue whether James Harden travels when going to the basket when it's clear that it's a gather step. Even with Giannis, he gather steps a lot, and people still call it a travel. The step. gather step is a rule that was added so you can take another step. The gather step but, was always well, there, but what people but see the thing is that was I, but that no, the I don't gather think step wasn't always there in history. It was yes, just it was. no, it wasn't. You want to bet? No, I don't think it was. Or if anything, it was just it started just started being emphasized. I feel like no, the gather step back then was like the power dribble, in a sense. You know, I mean, we, we like, look. You know we, what I'm saying? Can, like we can talk about this later because I've seen film of players in the 1970s use a gather step. So it's always been there. So you can search it up, Riv, and we'll see what's up. It's always been there, but we're going to get on to the show. This is the next segment. We're, just search up what year was a gather step. <laughs> what year was a gather step added into the NBA? 2009. Gather step? 2009. Yeah, that's false. What? That's the first thing that popped up. Uh, 2009. Who's the source? The Undefeated. I don't, I don't know. Oh, Jared goes. Yeah, undefeated. You see, that is the first thing that popped up, right? Yep. A gather set was always given in FIBA, too. Really? Yeah. FIBA? That, yeah, like European basketball. That's oh. why That's why they came to the NBA with the Euro step. Euro step is basically a gather step. No, the Euro step is two steps. Two steps. But it's basically a gather step too. Mm. But like you're dribbled to the lane and then like you pick the ball yeah, up. Yeah, that, that, fir- that first picking the ball up, that first step is a gather step. No, nah, see, I, that's why I think the, I think we're talking about two different yeah, gather like, steps. But see, but a lot of people, I don't, I think refs don't even know what to call sometimes. Like you know, no, I think I think they do. It's just they pick and choose, but. The gather, like the gather step is basically Euro step. It, it looks like three steps, but it's not. In Europe, like, that if that you look at that that Kyrie uh, Euro step the other night against the Clippers, that was clear as day. Two steps. We're gonna get onto the show on resources <laughs> later. <right? laughs> I told you, just, I told you, it was not back in the day. You got it from the undefeated. I could show you a lot of footage and film, but we'll see. I'll just I'll just send it to you after the podcast, <laughs> and we'll talk about it after because we spent way too much time talking about gibberish. But okay, this is the next segment. There are two centers in the NBA that are playing phenomenal and at an MVP level so far. That's Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. So this is just a quick question. Which center, in your opinion, is the best center in the NBA? And I think that Jokic and Embiid are the only two, two viable mm-hmm. answers. Nobody else should be in the conversation. So I'll start with you, Riv. Who's the best center in the NBA <laughs> right now? Ah, uh, It's... You know, it's it's funny because in the NBA, I don't think a lot is being placed, emphasis is being placed on the defensive end, especially when a guy is that impactful on the defensive end. I think the Joker does things that a point guard does at an elite level. So it's it's if I had to pick right now today, I think I'm going to go Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid is the best center in basketball right now. I think he's the most dominant center in basketball right now. And it, I say that, and it's funny because I say that after watching last night's game, you know, against the Denver and uh, LA. The first half. Yeah, I, I was watching uh, Portland and Bede, and then I was watching Denver and the Lakers, and I watched how AD and Joker was kind of going at it a little bit. 
But I think the Joker, both of them, incredible, incredible post players. I think Embiid is a little better. I think Embiid defensively trumps him. I think playmaking, the Joker has it. I think the shooting with Embiid improving as a shooter, he's starting to get there. Those free throw line jumpers yesterday was killing Yeah, him. but I think defensively, I think jo- Joel Embiid is just so far above Joker that I have to take Joker. I mean, I have to take Embiid on this one. Me, I'm taking the Joker. For one of the, one of the reasons I like him, like if you look at both those numbers, Joel's averaging 29, 10, and 2. Jokic is having 26, 11, and 8. Um, I think that kind of goes uh, to what you just said. Like he he's a better facilitator on offense. Jo- Joel's really not looking to move the ball around. He's kind of like their number one uh, offensive guy. I will say that Joel, um, like if, if you need a bucket, he's definitely going to get you the bucket. And uh, like Jokic, I kind of feel like he forces it a little bit too much. He never really knows when to pass out or like kind of look for that extra pass. But I will. Uh, one of the things why I put Jokic over Embiid is because you know, like what I said before, the best ability is availability. Mm. Every, every time Joel uh, gets hit the slightest bit, he like holds a body part. Philly fans are going nuts. Is he injured? Is he injured? You know, like I feel like you really like can't always worry about that. You got you got to be able to have your guy be, take a couple hits and like be okay. Like, we see Jokic bang with, with big guys down low and take it, and he'd be having cuts all over his arms, and he'd be getting red. And I'm just like, wow, I know why y'all laughed. And I <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just think that, like, Jokic is always on the floor. He's going to – he's always playing. Like, Joel, he's – That was pause. What I, oh, like <laughs> that was crazy. Like Joel, he he just gets injured too much, and like when the Sixers need him the most, sometimes like he's not there because of injury. This is what I'll say. Um, what will you say? They're both having <laughs> tremendous seasons. Embiid in 31 minutes played is averaging about 29 points per game, 11 rebounds, three assists, a block, a steal, and his efficiency is off the charts. Off the charts, he's shooting 55 percent from the field mm-hmm. and 42 percent from three on about the same attempts that Jokic is shooting the, the um, three-point attempts. So, you know, he's shooting some Definitely threes Definitely a better again. three-point shooter. Yeah, and he's, you know, hitting his threes too. Jokic is averaging 27, but he's almost playing 37 minutes a game, 12 rebounds, That's not really his game, assists. though, the three-point shot. Like, yeah. he could hit I it. I don't think scoring is really the Joker's, like, game. He's got like, 26 makes, a game, no, though. I, th- he, I think he has to right now because yeah. everybody isn't really. But I think he really likes to be like a LeBron, like playmate this first. Facilitator, like kind of point guard, like, yeah. like point forward type thing. This is the thing. When we talk about who's been a better center this season, who's been the, the better player it's this season, neck neck. I think it's Embiid. I'm going well, with team Embiid. success. Like his, he's team leading, success, he's yes. leading his team to more wins. I think it's been Embiid, but I'm going to say this. I think Nikola Jokic is the best center in basketball right now mm-hmm. because even though Embiid, you can run an offense through him, you can't run an offense through him quite like Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is literally, this is a crazy comparison right now. Nikola Jokic, outside of the defense, is literally Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. What Ben Simmons and Embiid do for Philly is what Jokic does alone for Denver in terms of being that primary facilitator, setting everybody up, being a tremendous passer, it's gotten to the point where you can't really double-team Jokic because he's such he's such a great passer. His passing and ability is... His game yesterday against the Lakers wasn't a great game. He didn't play good. 
But I'm not about to forget what he did to them in the Western Conference Finals because he was phenomenal in the WCF. And if it wasn't for that Anthony Davis game winner, Literally. it would have been a much closer series, which is why I thought it was kind of weird when Reggie Miller said the Lakers dominated the Nuggets because they didn't dominate the Nuggets in that series. It was close than people like to think, think it yeah. was. But this is the thing. And Bede, we know his strengths is in the post. So is Jokic's. They both have great footwork. But I just think Jokic's passing ability puts him a step above. And even though Embiid is a better defender, I just think that if I'm starting a team, I'd rather have Jokic because of what he can do all around on offense. And in the playoffs, Jokic has been way better than Embiid in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like Embiid has had some, like in the playoffs, Embiid shoots 44% from the field in his playoff career. Last year, he averaged 30 points per game against the Celtics when Simmons was out. But the year before, he only averaged 20. Jokic, his playoff career, he's, he shoots 51% from the field. And his first year in the playoffs, he averaged 25, 13, and 8. And last year, he averaged 24, 10, and 6. So now, in the playoffs, it's not even close. Jokic has been better than Embiid. I want to say this. Add context to what you're saying. Look at the teams. Joel Embiid finally gets spacing. The proper spacing that he needs. MVP candidate. I feel like in Denver, the Joker has always had spacing. I think we could all yeah, agree. Yeah, always. He's always had the proper he's team. Jokic, has, Jokic is spacing too. Yeah, though. that's what I'm saying. He's always had, he's always spacing. They've he's had always shooters had, yeah, in He's Denver. always had the proper team built around him to be that. So I think this year, we're start, finally starting to see what Joel Embiid would really look like with spacing. In the know? regular season so far. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, coaching that's what I'm matters saying. too. Right now, like right now, I think so far we're starting to see this is Joel Embiid with space. I think last year, you know, Ben Simmons out, he kind of had to just go out there and just play. They weren't, they had no chance against Boston in the yeah. bubble. The year before that, he kind of had Ben Simmons, who was just a liability in the fourth, so they was able to double team him. But I think this year we're starting to see like Joel Embiid with spacing is the most dominant big man in the NBA. And I think playmaking is a great stat. Like I think it's a great thing. Like I don't, I don't think it's as necessary for a big, but I think the fact that he has it is definitely a plus. But I think the the gap between the playmaking with both is the same with defense. I think Joel Embiid and the Joker on defense is a big, big gap. The same as if the, jo- the Joker is playmaking against Embiid. That's why I would probably lean a little bit toward Embiid. But I think this year is definitely going to be a test to him in the playoffs because of the amount of spacing and the proper team around him. See, I, I think Embiid is a great defender, but I think his defense kind of gets um, blown out of proportion He's a good defender. I don't think he's an elite defender. He definitely doesn't have the foot speed to keep up in pick and rolls with guards uh, most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, he he has the size and the agility to guard around the rim. He's an elite rim protector. I think they're. I feel like they both are. No, I don't think Jokic is an elite rim protector. I think this. I, I feel like he'd be getting clutch blocks when he needs to. I think he does too. He I, does. I, bro. I, I, don't I wouldn't think, call him an elite. I don't think good, Joker. Good I don't, rim protector. I don't think the Joker is as bad at, on defense as people like to make it out to seem like. And I don't think that Embiid is as great on defense as people like to make it out to seem like. I think Embiid's defense is by far better than Jokic. I'm not going to argue that. But I also think that, you know, in terms of rim protector, Embiid has that. But in terms of getting into the passing lanes and stealing the ball, I think Joker has an edge on but Embiid. Like, on that. But okay, I get like I get that, but at the same time, do you really put that much emphasis on a big man not being like a big man of that nature not being able to guard on the perimeter cuz he's not that type of big. Like we look at the ADs in the world like those type of bigs, like those bigs are built to guard the perimeter and mm-hmm. be that switchable pick and roll. 
Embiid is more of like a, a a throwback center. Like he's not built to sit there and guard the perimeter. So we sitting there and putting that much emphasis on the fact that he's not great at something he really shouldn't be great at because of how he's built. I'm not putting that much of an emphasis on it, but I'm also saying that would help tremendously towards yeah. his case. Yeah. And when we talk about Embiid and, and Joker, yeah, Embiid's going to give you 30 a night and like you know 14 rebounds. But, you know, what he did against the – they faced – I forgot what team he faced yesterday. Blazers. Oh, Portland. He faced the Blazers without Dame. No and, Dame, no Snow, no Nurkic. And Bede had 30, and he had – he had 33 a, in the first half. And he had one assist, right? He had one assist that game. And people thought he tore his ACL in the first quarter. Wait, but so what? This is what I'm talking about. And B's going to give you 30. He's going to do what he does on a, on a, on a box. But he's court. not facilitating. But in terms of Jokic, Jokic is going to give you 28. He's going to give you 14. He's going to give you 13. He's going to give you a triple-double. Wait, wait. So it's bad if a big man doesn't give you dimes? No, it's not bad. But it helps that, the game that what a lot. Makes, that what makes Joker so, I mean, such an or, yeah, yeah, unorthodox no, he, player. He's going to give – no, he's an unorthodox player. He's going to give you the little 25 – 11 and low 10 assists. That, but that's, and every game this season, he's had, he's had a double double. Yeah, and but, that's big. No, though. that's that is big. That, that is, no, I'm not denying yeah. like that's big. That's definitely a plus. But now you acting like Joel Embiid's 30 and 11 this year hasn't been getting them wins, wins, wins. Like they're, they're six, the number one team in the East. Seven. Yeah, and Denver's, of, Denver's teetering. Like they're, they're like 12 teetering. and seven. Yeah, yeah, in he's the doing West, all that in the West. The, let's not act like the West. No, no, but let's the same. Not, no, but let's not act that the East, the East is weak. Like, but that. let's not act like the Philly would be first in the East. They wouldn't. They wouldn't nah. even be they fourth. W- they wouldn't. They'd be, be behind Utah, Los Angeles, and the Lakers. They, we didn't know they'd be first in the East, though. That's true. I mean, Brooklyn I, is coming. That's the only reason they're they're first the is because Harden. Guy Brooklyn, bro. The, the only reason Philly's number <laughs> one is because Harden. Brooklyn, ha- bro. The only reason they're number one is because Harden didn't start the season with Brooklyn. My whole thing. Philly seventeen and six. Yeah. My whole thing is: Do you see? Philly keeping up the first seed, the whole se- or top they've three. They've had an easy schedule Top three, too. top that three. Is, that is going to be, that is the key. If That's they what I'm keep, saying. If they can but keep he has it to up. stay healthy. Yeah. But When's the last know, time Embiid know, played a full healthy season? This is, this is the thing. I, I just, I just want to counter with this up. argument real quick. Because it's weird what you, when, when you said that about Joker. Wait, what did I say? Before um, you when, when you talked about his assist and how being like, that's not what a center is really supposed to do. Oh. You said that. He, no, it's not no, really. I, did not I didn't think you were saying you, that. Said you, said that. you said it's not necessary for a center. No, I said. That's, I those said, are your I exact said, words. No, no. I said you You guys are putting a big emphasis at this. At a put, you're putting a big emphasis on assists like a big man has to do that. Okay. And before you go, while you may be uh, true, on, you may be right on the surface, that's like saying before this era of guards, of, of scoring mm-hmm. guards, looking at a point guard and being like, oh, you're putting that much emphasis on how many points they scored when they're not really supposed to do that. They're supposed to assist and facilitate. But yet, we know in this era, scoring guards have taken over. The transition was early, though. That, that's no, that's that's more like putting a, uh, emphasis on guards rebounding. And like Westbrook's 10 assists, uh, rebounds. I'm not going to, if you sit no, there. No, I don't think it's the same. Yeah, because if you put Westbrook with another guard, and be like, okay, he's a better, he does all this assist, rebounding. I'm like, I don't. But I wouldn't want like I don't put emphasis on my point guard being like if he's a great rebounder that's great but that's not something I'm sitting there and no. saying that's a big emphasis. See, I, I, think, I think rebounds are much more open ended than assists and playmaking. Okay, so if you're talking, I think assists and playmaking are really make a big impact on the game. Yeah, my I agree. whole thing is Joel. He gets double teamed a lot because obviously he's giving you those thirty points a game. And he or brings up the ball too. Yeah. So my whole thing is if you're not if you're like suspect on your playmaking and passing abilities. Like, how are you going to bring your offense to the next level? 
We've seen when like when, when he's drawing, team. yeah, when he's well, drawing yeah, those he, double he, teams, he brings his offense to the next level with his scoring ability. But that's, post- no, but but that's himself. Seen, he needs to elevate the players around him. We've that's seen, we've seen center. He could. How many big men? How Jokic many, does it. Yeah, he does. Joker's Joker's probably, that's what I think makes him yes, better. Though. He okay, but, makes okay, everybody else around Joker him better. Joker is probably one of the few bigs that we can name in history <laughs> that actually does that. Like, come on! Like, what? Tim Duncan, that's him, what makes Hakeem Olajuwon. So okay, but you're no, no. I get that. That's but I, we've I seen big men. We've seen big men who have scored like Joel, though. Yeah, that's that's understandable. But you guys are just saying, okay, he's. I'm. I'm not disagreeing with you guys. I'm like, he's a great playmaker. He's a better. Playmaker. I mean, thirty and fifteen for Joel is still good. Yeah, he's a great. That's, that's still, amazing. He's that's a great, great playmaker. <laughs> we get all that, but there's other parts of the game where Joel and B. I think it's a lot closer to people because Joel and B does a lot. I of think the what game you're trying to say is he brings a lot, a lot more game, to the game than what stats say. A lot in the game better than him. Not a lot. Like what? I think it's just a defensive end. And I think Joel and B is a better post player. I mean, I think that's fair. I think Joker's a better post passer, but I think Joel Embiid's a better post player. I think, I think, I think Joker and has. I think Joker's better face up game. He has a better perimeter game. He can you yeah, like he. I get what you're we, saying. We've yeah, seen, I get what we, you're saying. We've seen a spot up shooter. Like I'd rather Joel take the three. I than, think Joel is better at doing big man things than the Joker. Like you're saying, he's a better perimeter. He's okay. Yeah, you're, you're that, saying like. Joel is a center, and Jokic is like a center forward, like center yeah, like point. Like a hybrid. You know yeah, why, I, get you know why I don't agree with that? I don't agree with that. Because he brings the ball up, though. Not even that. I don't agree with that because just, th- I mean, this is the first year where we've seen Joel Embiid really enforce his will in the post. Mm-hmm. These That's previous true. years, I mean, everybody has been kind of begging Joel Embiid to stop taking perimeter shots and take his game there. That is true. I mean, this is also Joker, the first year we've seen him with spacing, real spacing. And we've also like like last night I said I think he took like the Blazers gave him six jump shots in a row from the free throw line in, and he made all of them. If he's hitting those shots, it's over. That's scary. Like no, that's that's, that's true. But I think this. I think. For me, based on the Joker's playoff performances, yes, I think I would just and the put playoffs, him over yes, Embiid. Exactly. That's fair. That, right no, now. that's fair to say. But he, I, he has been underperforming in the playoffs. Like if you look at what Jokic and Jamal did against the Clippers, like Jokic played a big role. Like it was they, a two man show. Yeah, but yeah, I, think, exactly. I think this is the first year, honestly, where Embiid has the proper team around him. I get what you can yeah. sit here. No, yeah, and, I I agree with that. Because they always also, said, yeah. I just can't disregard no, M- yeah. Embiid's history when he's mm-hmm. been in the post and double teamed mm-hmm. that he really is not it his weakness as a passer yeah. shows when, when he, he gets, gets double teamed in the post. post. Yeah. I agree. I agree. So I think I mean, look, I have the Joker. Obviously, I think I it's a very Joker. close debate. Oh, yeah, it's definitely but I have the Joker. You have the you have Joel Embiid. Well, right now I have Embiid. Like this year, as of right now, I have the MVP, Joel Embiid. You think he's MVP over LeBron? Come on, guys. I, I, no, I think LeBron is MVP right now, to yeah. be honest. I, I think I am a big – I'm not even going to say LeBron, LeBron I, hater. I, think, I just I – like think You know what I think, though? I think the MVP race, is a, MVP race is a lot closer this year. I think a yes. lot of guys are fighting for it. Mm-hmm. I got Embiid at one, but LeBron's right there with him. Yeah, I think I think LeBron is going for it this year. I think he's coming crazy. I think Embiid's I'm coming for it, too. I think a lot of guys could win a KD – is up there. Kawhi is up there. Yeah. The Joker's up there. Like, there's a lot of guys. There's going to be a fight. Kawhi is having a very quiet season. Yeah. You know, Steph Curry's creeping in that six seven. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. This is gonna be a fun MVP race. So far, it's been a fun season to watch. But I got because yeah. I got Joel Embiid as my MVP. <laughs> Bradley Beal. Oh man, here we go. This, this is a segment that's gonna be. It's You've been be waiting fun. for this. I feel like. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I have Brad- like twenty players too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, See, Bradley Beal, uh, as of late. A lot of fans are classifying him as a 
as a superstar-like player, I don't know if I'm the only person that sees it, but I had made a TikTok a couple of days ago talking about how I think that Bradley Beal is overrated. And a lot of people commented saying Luca's better than, I mean, Bradley Beal's better than Luca. Uh, you know, a lot and, of. And you said Luca is better than Kawhi. I mean, before the season, yes. I mean, I think it's much closer than people think. But th- this is the thing. I believe that Bradley Beal has become overrated. And I don't know when this kind of uh, this kind of shift in NBA culture started where fans started uh, praising players that score a lot but lose. Because I remember when Devin Booker did it, he got hated. He got crucified to the point when he scored 70, nobody really cared because <laughs> they were losing. But now we see players like, you know, Zach Levine on the Bulls that score a lot and lose. They're starting to get more praise now. But he Bradley is Beal, starting to lead us to more Yeah, wins. They, are, they are winning. I'll agree with that. But right now, Bradley Beal is averaging 34.8 points per game, five rebounds, 4.6, 4.6 assists. And even with these gaudy numbers, I think that Bradley Beal is overrated and teams should be careful when trying to trade so much for him. I don't think the Heat should trade Harrow, Robinson, and Nunn for Beal and a bunch of picks. And when you look at great scores on losing teams, this is not something new. Monte Ellis in 2009 scored 26 points per game for Golden State. Kevin Martin in 2008 scored 25 points per game on the Sacramento Kings. Kevin Love in 2013 had a double-double with 26 and 13 on the Timberwolves. Just in 2017, a 5'9", Isaiah Thomas scored 29 points per game on a winning team. On a winning team. So I got a question. If James Harden did all the James Harden things but never won, like never made it to the – the playoffs or whatever, like doing what <laughs> doing what Bradley Beal does, what would you say about James Harden? It's hard to imagine that because Harden would never do that. What? Because Harden, because Harden, because Harden has made but, eight straight playoffs with the Rockets and has never yes, not like won I, I would see, in the West. I would see where you're coming from because you're just going to say he's doing all this and losing, right? I mean, Bradley was not even getting close to the playoffs, though. Yes. This is the second but, straight But year. also, who does he have? I mean, one, he has... Westbrook, who Harden had last year, and they made the playoffs, and they were the highest how one bad, doing NBA history. But how bad has Westbrook been this season? Westbrook hasn't been that bad. I want to say this. I want to say this before um, we get into this top 20 little fun little uh, list here. The NBA has become a league where we praise losing. We, we praise high stats for losing. Bradley yes, Bill is putting up 30. And I, I I told him, I like I always thought Bradley Bill was just an all-star. I didn't think he was just high. Pre- He's putting up 40 points in the loop. They're down by 20 points. They're losing. I think even with Zach, and we started winning as of late, but even with Zach, I was hesitant because it's easy to put up. If you're a talented player, you're going to put up the numbers in a losing effort. No matter, That's just your Taking 20-plus shots. Yeah, yeah, but can you put up numbers in a winning situation? And Bradley Bill has shown when they're winning, he's a 22-point-per-game scorer. And he doesn't. he's not a high-usage rate guy. John Wall was really... Getting him open, spotting him up, doing things like that. He wasn't really that one-on-one guy. Now, granted, that was a while ago, but still, I feel like Bradley Bill had it always in him. It's just now he's getting the ball a lot more. That's what I'm going to say. more ball dominant. To finish my argument, Isaiah mm. Thomas averaged 29 points per game in a winning situation. Yeah, that was tough. Right? What, what if he was on Washington? He probably would have averaged like 35. 50. Just like what, what <laughs> yeah. he's doing now. DeRozan in 2017 averaged 27 points per game. Even though DeRozan... On the Spurs, right? No, on the Raptors in 2017. Yeah. Even when DeRozan and Isaiah Thomas were doing those things, 
nobody in 2017 thought they were top 10 players in the league. 100%. We knew they were all-stars. It might have been some Boston fans that were but, like, yeah. it. But, but if you kind of look at who else was balling in those years, it was kind of hard to... It was more talented now than it was when they were doing but it. But this is the thing. This is what I'm going to say. Then that's what I was season, trying to say. Last season, Washington's defense was 11 points better when Bradley Beal was off the court. And among 251 <laughs> players... To defend isolations in the NBA, he's the worst. Bradley Beal allowed the eighth highest scoring rate <laughs> in the NBA, so he's given up thirty five, but he he's scoring thirty five, but he's given up forty. And this this is why it's so hard for people to fathom that Bradley Beal is leading the league in scoring, but he's not a top fifteen player. The reason why it's so hard for people to fathom that is because the last twenty years in the NBA, who have been the leading scorers in the NBA, KD, Melo, James Westbrook, Harden, Curry. Curry Harden, Top 10 Kobe, players. Iverson, T-Mac, LeBron, Wade, all guys who we viewed as the Top, upper echelon of the league. Yeah, superstars. This is the first yeah. year where somebody who's not in the upper echelon of the league is, is doing this. And that's why it's so hard to grasp. For me, I think there are 15 players that are absolutely no debate better than Bradley Beal. <laughs> 15 players? Yes. No, yeah. And yeah. I think, and the other five, I think it's a debate. But these are my, these are my 15. LeBron. Durant, Kawhi, Giannis, Curry, Harden, Davis, Luka, Joker, and B, that's 10. Easy. Dame, PG, Jimmy Butler, Kyrie, and Tatum. That's 15. Okay. And then the debatable ones. I would say Tatum is better than Beal. I want to uh, add, add a few on there. I would though. say that, yeah. I had Jalen Brown up there. I had Donovan Mitchell up there. That's 17. I had Cat up there. That's 18. I had Clay Healthy up there. And that's Chris 19. Middleton is honest to God a debate. I think, I think, I think. I'm gonna be honest. I think that I think Chris Middleton Chris, is a debate. I, I think I, Rudy Gobert, in terms of impact, especially on the defensive okay, end, yeah. you okay. could say mm-hmm, that. I okay. think Bam is debatable. I think too. Him you, and saw, Devin you all said Jamal Murray, the same level. Jamal Murray. I didn't say Jamal Murray just because debatable. I feel playoff like. Jamal Murray, yeah, but this Jamal like Murray, no. You could debate Trey Young. You could. You could debate Trey Young. I mean, a guy who puts up big numbers that aren't winning. So as much. I got a question right now. So you you think he's a defensive liability? Is no, that, he is a defense. So yeah, do, no doubt about so it. So do you think? His defense isn't up to where his offense is, is because he's putting so much effort on the offensive end. No, I think his defense is bad because he's a six three guard that is not that strong, so he can't guard uh, players that are stronger than. So him. you don't think it's like he's choosing not to play defense? You're just saying he just doesn't have it in him to play defense. I mean, I think even if he did, if he did choose to play defense, um, he'd be an okay defender because when they when Washington was winning, he wasn't a horrid defender. He was okay, but he wasn't putting up thirty. I think he's given up that defensive thing. I think he just decides on he he. It's clear he doesn't want to win. He keeps talking about he wants to be in. He Washington. looks mentally drained every after every game. But he knew this was he knew coming in that this was gonna be it's gonna be a hard task. Yeah. I agree with all those players though. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of debatables. I think there's more than what we named. I think we can go I down. Think Bam Adebayo might be up there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like <laughs> like Washington fans are crazy. Like I don't. I think he's overrated in the those sense. Are, a lot of NBA fans think that Beal belongs in, in the top 15. And people were just looking at the 34 points, and they're just thinking, okay, top 10 player, no. But what else does he bring? Nothing. That's what I'm saying, and that that's what I was arguing, is that what does Bradley Beal bring uh, outside of the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nets, right? Where can you drop Bradley Beal in, and he takes that team over the top? Like, if you swap Middleton for Beal, do the Bucks become I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Clippers uh, and the Lakers maybe. get worse with him. 
No, I don't think so. I, I think, think so. I think the I think, Lakers think, would be a good fit. I think Clippers giving up, they're going to have to give up a lot of their depth. Clippers would be and, a horrible and fit. And defensively, they don't have a point guard to really, and that's taking the ball out of Kawhi like, and PG's hand. You yeah. can, I think Bradley Beal on the Heat with Jimmy, Bam, and Beal, I don't think that that's a lock for a championship. For no, like, I don't even like, think that's even a, a lock for team. ECF. Like, even, like, I don't think it is. And last year, we saw the Heat go on that Cinderella run. If you were to exchange Bam and Beal, Stop. I don't think they do that. They no, a hundred percent. What Bam brought to that team last year, Beal's not bringing. And that's that. what I'm saying is that Beal, he's a great scorer, yeah. But when he's gonna, when he goes to a winning situation and is forced to be the second slash but third Adebayo, option, Loki could score. I feel like yeah, just he's as, scoring like 19 a game this just, season. He could drop 30 if he wanted to. Uh, I feel my like. thing with Miami is Jimmy would easily take a back seat to scoring. I think we know that. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but, but is he doesn't want to score. Yeah, but is that the right call? Because no, we've seen in I the end, like no. Jimmy is a better closer than Bradley Bill. And let's be mm-hmm. realistic: the Nets, Boston, Bucks, th- those are the top three teams in the East. They get they get Bradley Bill. They're probably gonna have to gut their roster. A lot of is, lot, is that yeah. team really realistically beating those three teams? Like, is that is it a lock for them to beat those three teams with that big three? I don't think so. Yeah, that's the thing for for me in that. That's why when I said it, because I said it on TikTok and I said it on Twitter, I got a lot of backlash for it. But when you watch the game and you see. Like, what else does Bradley Beal bring? Like, he's not bringing much else. Like, we can, as much as we want to say it's a situation, it's a situation, at some point or another, you got to make the players around you better. He's right? not even that off-ball scorer he was. Anymore. Yeah, like, he's not making the players around him better. He's getting his buckets, and he's doing what he does. That's it. But who like, is he making he's better his. around him? Like, he's not making anybody. anybody better around him. That's why, for me, it's it's a debate, and... Like I said, it's really unprecedented that a guy who's leading the league in scoring is not a top 10 player, like consensus top 10 player, but it's happening with Bradley Beal. And that's why people look at his scoring numbers and think he is. He's not even consensus top 15. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, it's like he, we just named 25 players, I think. And 15 yeah. were facts, and then the other 10 were like debatable. Like, what, what if you want to put like De'Aaron Fox there? Or uh, you could honestly debate Devin Booker at this. They're, they're kind of the same guy if we're being realistic. CJ McCollum is kind of the same too. Yo, even though Beal is yeah. younger, but McCollum was dropping twenty seven with the Blazers, and they're That's winning. True. Yeah, so it's like it's it's winning definitely matters, and when you're not winning, it's hard to sit there and look at your situation and say, "Call me crazy," but I think in a few years, Lamelo Ball will be debatable. Oh, no, not debatable. He'd be better. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah I think so. As a point guard, most deaf. Yeah. But you look at John Wall. He went to Houston. and He said, I got to be the franchise guy. And he and became a leader, yeah. and they're winning. Yeah. Like, they're winning. Well, they have they a got him on, I think, Wall. don't they got him on a minute restriction now? Well, nah, he's no? there. He he's, just he just doesn't play back-to-backs, I think. Okay. Oladipo has been balling, too. Oladipo. He might be another arguable one, I feel like. <laughs> A little bit. Yo, no, I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. Sabonis. We forgot Sabonis. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't say Sabonis either. I mean, but you I'm could like, honestly debate it. Like you could sit there and have a conversation about if Sabonis, because he let's let's be honest, he's more impactful to his team, and his jump is the reason why they're so good. His shooting too. Shoot I feel bad for Bradley Beal. That's gonna... why I think I want to see with the, with all this being said. I genuinely want to see Bradley Beal in a winning situation. Me too. To see how he does? Yes, to see how he does and where his points is. Because, look, my prediction is that if he goes to a winning situation, he'll score 25 points per game. Do you, that's my, that's my, do you that's think, my uh, prediction. Like, do you think he's the type of player where he's going to adapt his game to his situation or he's going to kind of be like, this is how I play and y'all got to adapt to me? I mean, he shouldn't be that way because he has done nothing to earn that right. Do you think he would make the Bucks 
better. If you swap out Chris Middleton or you just drop him and went in with the Bucks? I'd say you swap out. They steal something and swap out Drew Holiday and somebody else. I think. Oh, uh, I don't know. Drew Holiday is. Yeah, I think Drew Holiday is. Uh, is, is okay, so swap out Middleton. Middleton for Beal. I think uh, offensively they get better, no doubt. And yeah. they have a closer. But they got a closer, but then defense, defense yeah. who's going to really... But I they, think they could make up got, for the you defense, You also got to kind of think about it. Bradley Beal's position, he's guard, he would have to guard the other team's best player. Not true. Not well. Nah, who Drew's there for. Drew would do It'd that. It'd just be a trouble when they play the Nets. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but, I think Drew would But if that. you got a team who got two good guards like the Blazers, and then you got Drew guarding Dame, and now you got to put someone like Bradley Beal on McCollum... I think they're going to just... Are you, you know, is it a liability? I mean, I think give it's a other. liability, but it's it's about the same. You know, I, I think that um, it, it's tough because I think his offense is terrific, but everything else is kind of meh. Like, his playmaking is meh. He's not a great playmaker. He's not a point guard like Harden. You know, people want to... Why you got to... Yo, he says Harden. Why no, you because, have to, because I'm saying, when, when you look at the best shooting guards... Can you guards, say, my, say another, though? When you yeah. say the... When we talk about the best shooting guards in the game, Harden is number one. And this is who... People are comparing Bradley Beal to right now. People need to stop. So that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> compared to Harden and compared to the best two out in the league, his playmaking is not there. His rebounding is not there. His defense would, is not there. I would even say Clay's a better playmaker than Bradley Beal. I don't think I'll say that. I've never seen in my life. I don't know. I don't you know. know about I, that one. I think Clay could. Clay just worries about his buckets and defense and gets out the way. He, he ain't worried about I, nothing else. I kind of feel like. You know, he, you've said Harden in every segment, right? What can I say, man? <laughs> like, Guy's a freak. He does. He you know, he does something to me, man. Whoa, whoa, Yo, come on! Y'all say pause on me. That that's crazy. <laughs> come on, <bro. laughs> Y'all gotta make a little edit of that. But look, Harden has been phenomenal. Uh, it's Beal. We're talking about Beal, bro. Oh, yeah. Beal has been good too. Beal has been good too. Like I'm not knocking him. He's averaging 34 points per game. He's obviously doing something right. But I just want to see Bradley Beal in a winning situation to see. The well, type of player he'd be. Because I don't think what he's doing now is what he really is. I kind of feel like, too, with his situation, if you kind of put any top 20 shooting guard in the league right now. Damn, that's a pretty long list. Bro. Look, yeah. I it, don't think so. 20, tw- top, you could name top 20, 20 shooting, shooting guards, guards. Put them in a situation where they're the face and they get to take 25 plus shots a game. I would say they could score 20 John, plus. John, John, that was crazy. That was crazy. I think so. I think there are about five that can do it. Yo, John, that I would was say crazy. 10. I would say 10 definite and then maybe another 10. Name, name, argue. name, name, name 10. 10. Can you even name 10 shooting guards? Not off the top of my head right now, but I think I could. I think I'm going to get that, that. That was ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think that's true. That I'm not going to coast on that. Yeah, I can giving, on that Giving an NBA player 25 plus shots a game, you're going to tell me he's not. You give Kelly Oubre 25 shots a game for the whole season. You really believe he's going to score 30 points. He's a shooting guard he's now. <laughs> I mean, twenty. he's giving you 20-plus if he's taking 25. He can't even score now with no attention on him. You think he's well, going to score 30? Yeah, I don't think so. Not John, 30. Not 30. I said 20-plus. You know plus. you're going to get ethered in the comments. Right? Not not 30. 20-plus. You know what, bro? It's all good. I'm going I'm, I'm to stick to that. That was a bad take. Our next segment I'm is shining away. Our next segment is going to be shying away from NBA talk. We're going to talk about college basketball for a second. We're not go to in depth. We're just going to talk about the number one pick. Who do you feel like should be the number one pick in the 2021 NBA draft? We know that this draft is a very loaded draft class, and the three top names are Jalen Suggs, point guard, six for four. We know what he could do. Cade Cunningham, six eight, two twenty pounds, and Evan Mobley, a seven foot center who has a, a, a old traditional big man game. So. 
you know, for me, I'm going to just go first, and I'm going to say I, I don't think this is a debate. I just think Kate Cunningham is by far the number one pick. <laughs> I, I don't know why Riv, like, said this. You know, I don't know why he recommended this segment, but I just really think that Cade Cunningham, his physical <laughs> his physical intangibles and tools just make him the number one pick. He's shooting 40 per, 40% from three this year. He's six foot eight. He's 220. He's Ben Simmons with a jump shot. There's just, it's just no way that he's not the number one pick. He's going to be the, like, consensus number one pick in the draft. I, I don't well, really, hold on, hold on, hold on, John, because this guy is really crazy. Okay, so boom. Before we make the topics, right, he asked me to send <laughs> him a list. I sent him a list. He goes, those are all good. That, that was up there. And he he, he, go, he runs me back the list of what we're going to do, the final list. And it, that's up there. And then he has the nerves to there and say, I don't know why Riv would do this. Why would you lie to me and say this was all good? It's, it was your idea. Oh, by the way, I just want to mention something real quick. So that that thing by the undefeated that you talk about with the gather step. I was just telling you what he said. No, 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 no. I'm just going to read a little bit of the the article. Okay. The move falls under the gather step rule, which the NBA either clarified or changed, depending on your opinion, in 2009. So I said it got. No, no. No, so it was always there, but it, it got clarified. Clarified means that it just, you know. They had to tell you the definition of it, the actual definition of it, and changed it. They put it in the fuck in the, in the seas, depending on your opinion. So that means that they emphasized it, it more. I said that they no, emphasized but that means it, more. it was always there. It, it was not made in two thousand nine. You said it was made. No, in no, no. I literally said it, it was. was it's been more yeah. emphasized. Or that's, that's, more what yeah, that's what you I said. You said it was made. No, I did not. I, I read. Was, no, I don't think there, so. There was, there was a part in the I segment think, no, where he said made. No, I just read what he said. He said made in two. I didn't go in depth into the article. I just read two thousand nine. I was like, oh, he said made in two thousand nine. What I said was it was has been more emphasized now than before. That's what I said. Nah, you said something different. You said you said it was brought in in two thousand nine. No, I was yes, reading. I was literally reading the same article you was reading. Nah, so I, don't do that. Anyways, back to the topic. Um, yeah, no. <clears throat> Kate Cunningham should definitely be the number one pick in the NBA draft. I mean, I've been I've been reading up a lot on uh, mock drafts and reading up on what they've been saying. There, there's been serious debate about who's number one, but I don't really see anybody outside. It, I really think it depends on the team, but I don't think any team's going to pass up on Kate Cunningham. You know, a six eight guard. I think these new guards coming in are going to be some big size guards, six eight, six seven. With Jalen Suggs being the exception, he's six four, but he's very fast and very strong, and he, you know he played quarterback. He's pretty nice too, but I think outside of Kay Cunningham, I think Jalen Suggs and Evan Mobley—they're making a strong case for number one in college right now, balling. But I don't think—I think Kay could stop playing ball right now. He would still go number one in the NBA draft. I don't really know too much about Cade or <laughs> Jalen, but I've seen Jalen play more than I've watched uh, Oklahoma State, and from what bandwagon. Yes, actually, because I got my—I always usually got my money on these crazy Gonzaga spreads. Mm. But um, from what I've seen from uh, Jalen Suggs, um, I think what Riff said is was like perfect. Um, what it depends who got the number one pick. Like if I feel like if you're from just from based off what you guys said, I think if you're looking for a more facilitating guard, like more like point guard, um, I think Jalen Suggs would be like the guy you who you would go with but I think now and today what we're seeing with guards 6-8 he could shoot the ball which you know like all that like I think that's what teams are more attracted to now so from based off of what I'm hearing I think you know why why he should not Next question the Kings get the number one pick hypothetically who do they go with I think they I go think with Cade 
Do you think we can play, play him at, at the you three? You play him at the at a point forward on um, position. Because they picked up Halle Byrne. They picked up Fox. So they already have two point guards. No, I Hill. think Halle can play the two. So you don't think they go Evan Mobley and no, give up I on don't. Bagley? You know, this this is my I opinion. I feel like Bagley could still. Uh, He's all right. I think, He's all right. I think for him, like being a star, it's over. Yeah, it's right. I think it's Ooh. over. Uh, Bagley. Bagley. I think oh, he's definitely a good not a star. Player, I, like a like a role big. He's a horrible defender, though. That's what's really holding him back. But this is the thing: I think uh, picking centers high in the draft, or at least with your number one pick in the NBA, is getting outdated because we've seen these past centers that have gone high in the draft have been disappointments. Um, when you look, especially when the class is a deep class, right? So. He's a different type of big. You, you look at you look at Mar you you look at uh Marvin Bagley, Marvin Bagley. Who was the guys that were picked? Luca was there. Trey Young was there, and the Kings passed up on them to pick um Marvin Bagley. Then you look at the Suns when they picked DeAndre Ayton. Same thing. Like you you pick DeAndre Ayton over these guys that are really good because you thought the center was going to come in and dominate. And DeAndre Ayton is a good center. He's actually picked up his defense, which was a question mark of his coming into the NBA, yeah. but. He's not Luka. You know, centers don't have the impact on a game like a guard. So I think it's – I don't think it's a debate. I think Cade Cunningham isn't the one pick. I think Jalen Suggs, like, even though he's very fast and he's very – he's 6'4", so he's not small. He's actually tall for a point guard. I don't think right now in this moment you could drop him, drop him into the NBA and he'll, like, look like he has an NBA body amongst NBA players. I think Cade Cunningham has an NBA body already. Like he is like there. Anthony Edwards. Yeah, like he is there physically already. So I think he could hold his own in the league as soon as he gets dropped in. I think Kid Cunningham has all the tools to be the best player for a long time. Not the like best best, but one of the best players. I in think the he'll game. be the best player in that draft. I think even Jonathan Kaminga, you can throw in that. I'm not saying he'll be number one, but you could throw in the pick before Mobley or Jalen Suggs because, like Joel said, he has the physical. Just like Cade, he has the physical tools. To just bang with players in the NBA, so it like yeah, like you said, I, I get it. Like the big men is kind of becoming outdated. I don't know though because the new set of bigs coming in are kind of like like Porzingis in a sense, like bigs that can stretch out and shoot. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see in these next couple years. You know, with Chet Holmgreg and that guy from uh overseas, Victor Wembanyama or something like that. See, this is the thing with me is I think um for a team to draft Evan Mobley is gonna it's gonna have to be the right team and the right fit. What about Charlotte? That's a that that's a, a huge fit, possibility. Actually. That's a huge possibility they need a big. for them. They need yeah. a big. That that's a huge for possibility for them. Uh, but I wouldn't rule out the Knicks. You know, I, I think people mm. are done with Mitch. Are uh, not done with Mitch, but I think Mitch is not the player that that everyone thought he was going to be. I just yes. think you guys need a point guard so bad. Like I think this is the draft where you're like, all right, it's time. Point guard. Get yeah, point I get guard. it. But I think if Jalen Suggs is off the board, K. I mean, boom, off the board, you get. The two, like we were talking about, the two lottery picks, Dallas and you guys. Then you could actually, you know, get a, a guard and a yeah, big. Yeah, but for me, I think Evan Mobley, it just depends on the right team and the right fit. I think guys like Cade Cunningham, like he's positionless. You could play him at the one And it's four. positionless basketball now. Yes. There's no really. You could play Jalen Suggs at the one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan Kuminga's a forward, but he could slide into that one, two guard two, spot two, two. Two through four. You know, Jalen Green, he could play the two or three. So there's guys that are positionless where you look at Evan Mobley. He could probably play the four a little bit, but I think he's more of a five. So it's going to be tough for him. He's not really a tweener like he's that. He's kind of built like Bobo. So it just depends. Like I, I think lo- that like long and lengthy. Mm-hmm. I just think that centers are getting outdated. And as, if you're not dominating, and I mean dominating the college ranks as a center, That's it's going to be hard yeah. to be picked number one. 
just because of the failure rates of these centers. I mean, you, you gotta be get, like Anthony Davis type level, like yeah, when Embiid he was type. Yeah, yeah. Even Embiid and Embiid wasn't like you know. No, defensively though, in college he was in college. incredible. In like, Kansas, he was different. Him and Wiggins, <laughs> yo, <laughs> I remember but that. Anthony Davis on Duke was yeah, <sighs> Kentucky. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I think no doubt. My boy Pratt's gonna get sick yeah. at that. I think no doubt about it though that Kate Cunningham is and should be the number one pick. I hope we get the one. Him. I'm sorry, I don't. Oh I don't want to so make the play. I really Neither hope we get I. the one, bro. He's he's that good. I hope we get. the one. <laughs> I wouldn't be mad if the Knicks make the, Zach make the playoffs. With him. If the Knicks make the playoffs, get a lottery pick from the Mavs, and we draft Jared Butler. Why would you draft Jared Butler with the lottery pick? No, not the lottery oh, pick. Oh, the oh, later oh. pick if we oh, make okay. the playoffs. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. I think Jared Butler fits the Knicks' identity. Why do you keep trying to get point guards? Like, go get a franchise player. Why do you keep trying to get these? Yeah, do you think RJ was a good pick? Yes. I do. At that point, yeah. You think he's the face of the Knicks? Yeah. I mean, right now, yeah, he's doing what he does. He's only 20 years old. He, Yeah, he is really young. You're right. And most NBA players really don't develop. We were talking about RJ versus Harrow. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, we were. And I think to this point, RJ probably is better. Right now? Yes. His defense is so much better. RJ locks up sometimes. He plays good D 95% of the time. He has those modes when he get in lockdown mode. If you switch them, where do you? He wouldn't fit. R.J. Barrett wouldn't fit with Miami. And I don't year. think Harold would fit with the with the Knicks. Yeah. It was perfect situations for both of them, honestly. Especially now that he has Tom Thibodeau, I think this is like the perfect space. Yeah, the perfect Tom Thibodeau is a really good coach. So the Portland Trail Blazers with Damian Lillard, we're wondering if he can keep them afloat. C.J. McCollum has missed the last nine games. Nurkic has missed the last 10 games. CJ was averaging 27, but Nurkic wasn't doing so well. He's averaging about nine points per game. Still recovering from his injury. He didn't look quite himself. But do you think that the Blazers can keep this up without McCollum and Nurkic? And before you guys go, I'm just going to give my take. And I'm going to say, yeah, I, I do. You know, they beat the Sixers without Dame, McCollum, and Nurkic. You know, and it was it was mm-hmm. a pretty handle handily win. It's not like they just snuck by them. They beat them by a pretty good I think margin. Double digits. Yep, and I think this is the thing with the Blazers is that in recent years they have not had the depth that they have this year. I mean, you look at their depth. Canner had I think like eighteen points and fifteen rebounds or something. A big role. Eighteen something rebounds. Eighteen rebounds against Philly. He was doing his thing. Carmelo is finally. Oh, I'm sorry his. to cut you off. He's actually had double digit rebounds since their game against OKC when he had 23 rebounds. 23 rebounds, 13, 11, 11, 15, and then 18. Yeah, so they have Canner, which was a huge pickup. Rebounding machine. Gary Trent has gotten better. Rodney Hood is coming back from that mm-hmm. Achilles injury. Melo, we know he can score at any time. Covington, a solid defender, and he can, you know, stretch the floor. And Derek Jones Jr., another solid defender. I mean, they have a lot of depth. And there are other young guys like Anthony Simons. Uh, C.J. Ellaby, like these guys are, are good. Nasir Little. Yes, yeah, Nasir Little had a big, big more, performance yeah. one of these last games. For me, this is a hot take right here, but I think if Ennis Cancer was not as bad on defense oh as, as he is, oh God. <laughs> he would be one of the best centers in the NBA. Not the best, but he would be one of the best. He'd be top five. If he was like good defensively. Top five? Top five? Yes. That's like really Embiid, good. Embiid, Joker. Vucevic? 
I think he could be just as good as Vucevic. Yo. If he wasn't that bad defensively, Yo. I knew that was coming. That's why the I had dude to say from that. the Magic, right? Yeah, he's talking yes. about. Yeah. Yo, I knew that was coming. And his cancer is a double double machine. He can't. He can't shoot the ball like him. Yeah, he, Vucevic he can, is a shoot. He can shoot. This is the thing is I think Ennis Cantor is a really good and center. And Vucevic could rebound pretty well too. No, yeah, I know. But this is the thing is that Ennis Cantor is such I a good player. Top, top, I don't know about top five. Yeah, top ten. Cantor <laughs> is such a good player. I said if he was good defensively. That would take was, his game. He would not. He would get way more minutes. Do you think yeah. Steven Adams is better than Ennis Cantor? Uh, defensively, of course. Overall, like would you right now would you rank Ennis Cantor over Steven Adams? It's just Cantor is so bad sometimes. You can't play him sometimes. I think Steven Adams isn't as bad as people think. I think uh, he's not as good as you might think he is. <laughs> His off, he has no offense. But, but it, this is what I think. Uh, we're back to the Blazers. I think you look at Cantor. He's averaging a double-double. Mm-hmm. Trent, 13 points per game. Metal, 12 points per game. Dame, 29-7. and seven. They're 11-10. and 10. I think they're 12-10 and 10 now that they beat yeah, the they, Sixers. Yeah, they won last night. And their next 10 games is, is against the Knicks. I think they could beat them. The Magic. Don't they play tonight? Yeah, they do play tonight. The Magic, the yeah, Sixers. Let's see, let's see that. Magic. Let's see, yeah. <laughs> the Cavs, the Mavs, the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Wizards, the Suns, the Nuggets. All, so they all have, winnable games. Yeah, they have a tough schedule, but I think they can win these games. I think they have the depth this year to stay afloat, even with CJ and Nurkish going out. And look, I'll stand by my uh, my gut feeling. We'll see what Kanner does against Alvushevich <laughs> when they play the Magic. But I, I think Kanner's a really good center, and if it was not for his defensive liability – he would be able to play a lot of minutes a game, and he would put up really great numbers. I want to say this. I want to correct myself. Cantor uh, has led the team in rebounding the last ten games. I mean, he leads the team in rebounding as a whole. Yeah. So he he was uh, he's been doing his thing. Dame, forty points, 36, 35, 39, 30, 44, 32. Dame Town. He's he's been doing what he needs to do. I Definitely. mean, they they caught two L's, one by three at Houston. And then another by three against OKC. So those are, you know, which are, I, I think those were actually pretty. Yeah, those good are games. those are pretty. Those are tough games. You know, yeah. that was the game. Uh, Canada had twenty three. But I think I agree with you all. I think they can definitely keep afloat with the depth that they had. Mm-hmm. With Gary Trent Jr., Carmelo Anthony. I know Covington hasn't been playing good, but he's still a valuable piece for them. Mm-hmm. Dame is going to be Dame. We know that he just Cancer has been playing really well. They have the depth, and with that schedule, it's going to be easy for them to keep afloat. In a tough Western Conference where if you lose one game, you drop down, down to about yeah. 10 to 11 seed. So it's going to be interesting to see. I think with this team, you can definitely see that what we were talking about in the summer, how that depth, how they needed, I said the summer, in the fall, how that depth and how they got all these pieces so that if this does happen, mm-hmm. that we can fit in and we can still get wins. So now it's going to be interesting to see how if Dame can carry. I believe he can. He has the talent for it. And Portland should definitely be geared up when these two guys get back. Do you guys have any timetable for when they get back, though? Um, I could let you know right now. So I just want to say this. Canner, for his career, per 36 is averaging 19 points and 13 rebounds mm, for per real? game. That's around Vucevic now. I think he's like 20 and 10. Actually, don't got good service. So uh, CJ McCollum's injury, you got you could talk. He, yeah. has, he has a fractured left foot, and he's going to be reevaluated four weeks from now, and that was January 19th. So in about two weeks, he's going to be reevaluated. So even if they reevaluate him, and he says he'll probably be out like another two weeks, another two to four weeks, because a fracture is worse than a break, mm. because you didn't really fully break it, so you got to wait for the bone to kind of get back. To Thank you, health teacher. Got you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, I will say that yeah, I think the Blazers are going to be fine um, throughout this stretch. They got like uh, the, all those teams that you just named. I think those are all winnable games, and I think their role players are starting to fit in. 
with the team and around Dame. And I think Gary Trent Jr. is one of them. Was I think he's balling. I think he's actually um, like taking that role well, kind of being that number two to Dame sorta. And I think that they're going to be fine on the stretch. I don't. I don't think they'll have a problem. So Nurkic, he he fractured his wrist January fifteenth, and it was reported that he's set to miss eight weeks. So okay, he's so possibly he's, he's set eight. to miss. He's going to miss like a month. So they're both From this missing. point on. He's going to miss like a month. Wait. So when did he get injured? January fifteenth. So been this like month, three weeks. This month, last month, and probably like he'll probably come back end of March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's going to be out for a while. So with so, CJ. So I feel like if they could at least be around like anywhere from the sixth to eighth, whoa, they'll be fine. Up until March fourth, they got the Kings, the Warriors, Charlotte, L.A., Denver. I'm going backwards, but mm-hmm. Denver, Phoenix, Washington, and then goes the way he said. So, you know, a lot of winnable games. A lot of winnable games. Without Dame, I don't. I, it's going to be tough against L.A. I mean, I said Dame. Without CJ and Nurkic, it's going to be tough without LA. Golden State is always going to be a fight, especially without those two guys. Yeah. Phoenix is going to be a fight. Denver is going to be a fight. That's going to be a tough road trip. Phoenix, Denver, LA. New Orleans is going to be a fight. OKC is going to be a fight. So it's going to be tough. Especially when you're missing your, your like, like a player like CJ, who's also going to give you like 20 plus. Who, yeah. And also like Nurkic, who is there. He's like a big, big man. Like he plays a big role in their offense as a big man. Like pick and rolls and just like even rebounding, but Ennis Canner is kind of filling that role in a sense. It's gonna be interesting to see, man. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for that Golden State matchup. I know? like watching the Blazers play. I like. I think they're an exciting team to watch. I'm, I'm gonna be honest. I think that they have been on NBA TV way too much for me. <laughs> I'm like, just, that's just my take, though. I'm gonna just say this: when they play Golden State, Steph is gonna have fifty again. I'm just gonna let y'all know this. He, right he had now. fifty last time. They played. Sixty-two points. We're on this guy. Wow. 60, he gave him sixty-two points, man. I mean, that's the thing. I think the Blazers have put themselves have put themselves in a position this year to stay afloat, even when their better players get injured. Last year, we knew they dealt with a lot of injuries, and they damn near missed the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I they think this year, because of Gary Trent's emergence, Carmelo doing what he does, getting Robert Covington on defense, which was huge, and and his cancer, like last year. That was Hassan Whiteside. And Hassan Whiteside, you know, he got a lot of blocks, but he's not a good offensive player. So it really takes no. away from what the Blazers He's do basically best. the opposite of cancer. Cancer, yeah. offensive player, bad on defense. Whiteside, bad on offense, defensive player. So that's the thing. So I think that they have put themselves in a position to stay afloat, and I think they will. I mean, the West is really competitive. You got Sacramento playing really well right now. They're like, they've won, I think, five four out six. of their last five. So the Kings are doing their thing. They're they're, the West is really competitive, so we'll see. The Spurs aren't bad. Yeah, the Spurs are good this season too. So the West, like always, is a very competitive Always conference. tough in the West. The Pelicans ain't going to be a cakewalk either. Mm-hmm. Pelicans, OKC, those aren't going to be walking the parks. OKC is definitely going to come to play. Even Dallas, even though they trash, they still going to be a competitive game because <laughs> they have Luka. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a fight. Yeah. Right now, the Memphis Grizzlies are currently. Oh, you guys don't play tonight. The Blazers and Knicks. They don't. They play tomorrow at tomorrow. one. Okay. At one. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Jeez, what a, what a currently, the Memphis Grizzlies are nine and eight. They're ninth in the Western Conference, and I think it's safe to say they have one of the better young cores in the NBA. They're the third youngest team in the NBA. Mm-hmm. At twenty-one years old. You have John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. At 22 years old, you have Desmond Bain, the Anthony Melton, and Xavier Tillman. 
At 24, you have Brandon Clark, Tyus Jones. At 25, Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen. So all of their players that play a lot of minutes for them are under 25. Yeah, and then at 27, you have Kyle Anderson, 28, Jonas Valanciunas, and their oldest player is Gorky Jang at 31. In your opinion, do you think that the Memphis Grizzlies have the best young core in the NBA? I would say yes, because I really don't see another team right now who has players who haven't even hit their ceiling yet. Like like you just said, their oldest player is 31. If you really like think really thinking about that, that's actually like crazy. Because yeah. most, you know, all these players are what like second, third year guys. Most of them really haven't been in the year for like four plus years, so they haven't even really hit their full potential yet. And we're and they're already they're already an exciting team to watch. John Morant already came into the league last year, and I feel like kind of shocked the league a little bit. I don't think anyone really expected him to be as good as he was. And Josh and uh, Josh Jackson, even though he wasn't, he was like starting last year, but I think he was coming off the bench a little. He was he's I've followed him in college. I always liked him. Really good shooter. I think he's like fits into what they try to do with with Ja. He's like a drive first type of point guard. So him being in the corner, he's a lot of threes for them. I think he's a good spot up shooter. All those other players, um, Desmond King, I think Desmond Bang. Yeah, I think he fits into. Their offense, too. I just think that as a team, they all like to play with each other and they mesh. And I do think that they're going to stay together and try to really build something. Yeah, I think the most impressive thing about the Memphis Grizzlies so far is that they're winning games and no player so far on their team has played over 30 minutes per game. Like, everybody's playing under 30 minutes. Everybody's doing their thing. Jaws averaging 19-7. Dylan Brooks is having an off year in terms of field goal percentage. But he's averaging 15.6. Um, Jonas, 14 and 10. Brandon Clark, 13. And this is without Jaron Jackson Jr. He has not played this year. Uh, I mm. read up an article that his return is coming soon. And they have a timetable for it, but he's just not announcing it. And you talked about Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain is a terrific rookie. I like when him. We, when we, in the draft, when we talked about who was going to be the best shooter in the draft, it was between Aaron Neesmith Isaiah Joe and Desmond Bain. I think Aaron Neesmith has gotten dealt a bad hand because Boston is was so stacked in terms yeah. of their guard and the wing position that he wasn't able to really. Yeah, he doesn't have an opportunity to really get a rhythm. Yeah. In terms of Desmond Bain, he's been slotted in Memphis and has an opportunity, and he's shooting fifty get opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and he's shooting fifty percent from three right now. He's doing his thing, mm-hmm. and Xavier Tillman is kind of like. The modern, or not the modern, but he is kind of playing that Draymond Green like a role for the Grizzlies. And ever since Draymond got drafted and did what he did with the Warriors, a lot of teams are taking risks on these shorter center slash power forwards. And Xavier Tillman has gotten a shot with the Grizzlies, and he's been really good. He's a really great defender. I think overall, the Grizzlies have a great core. They like playing together, and they're really good defensively. And I think that makes for a recipe for success. Ah, I love when people. The Grizzlies. <clears throat> now, I remember we used to talk about the Grizzlies, the grit and grind era, you know, Mike Conley, Marcus Saul. And it was a Zach sl- yeah, slow to pace. We're going to lock down defensively, and we're going to score slow. I think this team is gearing toward that process in a sense, building the right way, getting these guys out of the draft. I don't think they're going to go out and get any big names in free agency. I think they've been playing really well. I think these young guys are grooming together, and they're playing well together. I mean, you said it. Th- this team – 
And Dylan Brooks is probably – I didn't expect him to be this good coming out. I thought he was just going to be like a Denzel Valentine, and he's exceeded my expectations. John Morant yeah. is gear. He has that superstar it factor in him. I think we all can see it. Yeah. He has that dog in him. When they get Jaron Jackson back, he's a really good player, and he's a good defensive player too. They're going to miss him. But with this team, I think Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Xavier Tillman, Dylan Brooks, John Morant, I think this is the young core they're going to ride with. And with this upcoming draft, they got another time where they can pick out guys and bring it into their core. But I think they do have the best young core in the league. I, I used mm-hmm. to think it was Phoenix. Phoenix kind of has a couple good guys, Michael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Denver Booker. I used to think it was Atlanta, but Cam has been inconsistent. DeAndre Hunter has been really good. Trey's kind of teetering. I think with this team, you got the number one guy, John Morant. You know what you're going to get out of him. I think yeah. we all can agree you can build a franchise around John Morant. You got the young guys, Dylan Brooks. He's a shooter. He's going to play defense. Brandon Clark, he's like a Draymond Green in a sense. Xavier Tillman the same way. I think with this core group of guys, I definitely think they're the best core in the group. Right now they're second in assists per game, seventh in points allowed, and fourth in defensive rating. And first in steals per game. Oh, and this so, is with John Morant missing. He only played nine games. Yeah, yeah. he had that so, bad ankle injury. Their defense has been phenomenal, and I think with this, a, a team as good as this that's young too, I wouldn't rule it out that the Memphis Grizzlies overpay for somebody in free agency that is quite not a soup. That's not a superstar, but is a really good player, like kinda a Gordon like, Hayward. Yeah, kind of like what Charlotte did with Hayward, and you know that wouldn't be so bad because with the core like this already. You can build around that. Yep. They also average ninth in blocks per game and eleventh in uh, rebounds per game. Whew. That's not bad with no Jerry Jackson. This is, yeah, this is without him. And and um, if you look at their uh, their um, what you call it, their injury list right now, they're missing everybody. There's no no Valanciunas. Uh, I'm loading right now, but I think they got over uh, or more than like two starters who are injured right now, who aren't playing tomorrow. Their their uh, injury list is pretty long, so if they can keep this up without their like, key players, the ceiling is kind of like question. What's up? <laughs> I remember people used to talk like like that draft class: Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett. We we seen all three of them playing pretty well for the year too. You know, Zion's dominating. Mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett, he's getting back in the rhythm. He's doing his thing. John Morant, he's doing his thing, but. John Moran is the only one who seems to be leading his team to the playoffs. Is that is that going to be a knock on Zion and RJ in a sense? Because I don't think we we can all agree. I, I don't think, think so. Memphis is that much better than the Pelicans. I think the Knicks they might be. Yeah, I think all three of them are kind of in the same tier. But I just think the elevation of John Moran and elevating their game is kind of huge. Do Do you see that from Zion or RJ anytime soon? I mean, I think I about that. I think I Zion think, especially. I think Zion has not done it because I don't think that's Zion's game. I really don't. I think Zion is more of a player that's going to feed off another league Everybody guard. Else, yeah. Um, and I think that Stan Van Gundy has been a bad coach thus far, especially coaching the Pelicans, his lineups out there. His spacing they, they is horrible. Did a, they did a bad job constructing that roster. When we talk about the Knicks, I don't think RJ is the best player on the Knicks. I think that's Julius Randle right now. RJ has been good, but, I mean, we t- we're talking about RJ and Zion. I think a guy who has been doing good – is Darius Garland for the Cavs. I mean, they're in the playoff hunt right now, and he's True. he's really good efficiency-wise, averaging 17 and 8. Like, I, I think that John Morant is really good. I think he could be a top point guard in the league, but I don't know if I see, like, superstar 
You know, I don't know if I see like like top, Damian Lillard type of. I think standard. I see that, but I don't think I see Steph. I don't. I don't think I see uh Kyrie. You know, I think Ja's more of a playmaker facilitator, and I think this team was just perfectly built. You know, Taylor Jenkins has done a good job, but these are a bunch of guys who have bought in. Like, you look at Dylan Brooks, you look at Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, Jonas Valanciunas, who was a very underrated pickup when they shipped out um, Mark Gasol to the Raptors. He was a very underrated pickup. You look at DeAnthony Melton. These are a bunch of guys that are buying into playing defense, like defensive first guys. Yeah. And I think- John, John Morant, I'm not sure if uh, – I'm not sure that if he fits that defensive first style – I don't know if he he'll have gaudy numbers with this team and how and the way this team is building towards. I think he's more of like a Mike Conley mold, if anything, with a saying. little bit of better stats. I think I think just leadership leadership too. wise, you know, coming in the Grizzlies, following behind a rookie, you know that that kind of looks at it like, yo, he's a rookie. How would he be able to lead us? So I think that the showing early in his career having those leadership qualities is definitely a step forward in being a franchise player. What did you mean though about he's on the Dame tier and not the Kyrie tier? Aren't they on the same tier? Like, yeah, I was gonna say that you wouldn't consider Dame a superstar. No, but you said Kyrie as if like aren't they the same <laughs> type of tier? Like, I'm confused. You put him on Steph's tier. I was like boggled by that. What you mean? I didn't put. Uh, you said he's on the Dame tier, not the Steph, and then you said Kyrie yeah, right like, after. I was like, would you hey, consider you, him like on yeah, Dame you, level? Yeah, and you were like, you nah, I would consider him on like Kyrie's stuff. Like, like he he's not gonna be a Kyrie. Steph. Yeah, he'll be on the Dame level. So yeah. I was like, what you mean by that? Like. Oh, I might have misspoke. I wouldn't put him on. I wouldn't put him on either of those levels. I think he'll be a top ten point guard in the league. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't know if he'll be like a top five, especially with the guards that are like coming. Like an all star. Maybe yeah. In the West is going to be really hard. Um, I put him like in the Jamal Murray tier. No, he'll be better than Jamal Murray. Easily. I mean, you know, I don't know about. I that. mean, after what he did in the playoffs last year, I don't. I don't know. How you could say the past that. two years. What is he? I'm not. Listen, what do you mean? What, bro, be, listen, bro, listen, listen, listen. What? I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. John Morant, as a rookie, led his team to the playoffs. He had help. No, I'm not they saying they didn't that. go to the playoffs. You know what I'm what saying? What you mean? Though. He because he, he, the Grizzlies didn't go to the playoffs because they got joked by that stupid bubble rule and they were in at the time. <laughs> okay, they were close. Boom. This year he's back. They're doing their thing. You I mean just playing. Yes, the plan that Thank they're you. gonna have this year as well. We'll see. Like That's I said, a plan tournament. We'll see. They're gonna have a plan this year. No, I think they can get an eighth seed. You never know. The eighth seed is a plan. Is it really? Yeah, they're doing a plan I, with the eighth seed and the ninth the? and tenth. That's I terrible. I, I, I thought it was. I thought ten nine play and then they play eight. Yeah, that's still a plan. But I feel like seed. if you're in a plan, you're in the playoffs. It's kind of like a wild card game. How are you in the? If you're in the plan, how are you in the playoffs? Because you're fighting for a playoff. You, if you're in the wild card, if you're in the wild card, so then wait, so then, so the tenth seed is the same as the eleventh because the eleventh can't play yeah. to play in the playoffs. No, the team that makes the playoffs is the team that makes the playoffs. So the team that made the play-in is not the playoffs. That's so it's stupid. The team that made the play-in. So if you made the wild card game, are you in the playoffs? Wait, no, that that's makes confusing. No sense. Wait, so it's the it's the not playoff teams, then it's the play-in, <laughs> and it's yeah. the playoffs. That's what it is, right? Yes, the playing is the ninth and tenth seed. So what I is believe. the playing for? Like loser? Like what is that for? No, to the get play-in into is the playoffs. The ninth and tenth seed. Mm-hmm. What they did in the bubble, bro. Ninth and tenth seed, and whoever wins. They faces thought that was the a good seed. idea. Okay, all right, interesting. It's confusing oh. if you don't like. You got to read it. Yeah, so uh, yeah. okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not the wild card. It's more like your team week seventeen winner go home. So you mean That's to tell me I can play a full season as an eighth seed and I still have to fight to get in? I think if it's between like a certain win margin, but yeah, I mean, if you're if you're that good all year, then you should beat those nine or ten seeds. You got to earn it. 
You should have earned it when the first eight seed. But how many times has there been a team who hasn't made the playoffs that should have? Phoenix did. They were like forty five and thirty seven. They were nine year. seed that year. I'm just saying. Look, I think that. No, so Jaws, the, the, but yeah, Jaws gonna be better. Uh, I I, I, I really love Jaws' game, but I just think, uh, especially with the turn with the point guards that are coming into the league, a very they're taller. You know, Jaws gonna be. What is he like six five, six four? Jaws six, six three, three, but he played like he's six five, six That's four. All, yeah. Grown man. So I mean I don't know I, I just think that I'm I'm kind of worried about Ja and his health. I don't, the way he plays, he plays very yeah. erratic. I guess yeah, kind of like broke his leg though. Kind of like Derrick Rose, like he was yeah. playing crazy, like kind of. That's why his. I knee, think Ja plays way more crazy. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah, be he putting be, his body on the line. Mm-hmm. He be jumping in the air. He be going at everybody. So that's why. But I hope that the Grizzlies uh, do good in the future. I mean, I I think they're probably two pieces away. Or their young players developing into great players. Away. I, I feel like if, like what you said before, uh, if they got that one good player that they like brought in, like a Gordon Hayward type of player, like somebody who's been in the league and has like been in situations where they've won and like kind of has like a little playoff experience to where they can guide these younger players. To I, I think we could definitely see the trend going to where they're going to be very competitive for a 9-10 stretch, just like the same with mm-hmm. the grit and grind era. Especially because they're in the West. So all these young players are playing tough competition early in their career. I feel like for later in their career, that's going to give them the experience to beat those teams later on. All the, you know, I think all the young point guards are going to go to the East. Because all the dominant, aside from Kyrie, like point guards are in the West. You know, Steph, names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think true. like We need all, some balance, yo. Yeah, all the <laughs> bad teams are going to get the point guards, but they're going to be in the East. Like the Knicks are, might get an East point guard since they, you know, they got Dallas picking stuff. And Luca's technically a point guard, you know. So. Yeah. Currently, the Dallas Mavericks have been very bad. The Mavericks have been struggling right now. They're nine and fourteen, and they're fourteenth in the Western Conference, one place away from being last. But Minnesota is like dead, dead last. So I don't think <laughs> Dallas will get there. But I think a question that a lot of people are asking are why are the Dallas Mavericks struggling. Dallas Mavericks fans most likely have the answer to those questions. Maybe they don't, and that's why they stumbled upon this segment or video or podcast. But there's a lot of NBA fans that haven't been watching the Mavericks that closely, mm-hmm. and they want an answer. In my opinion, it comes down to a couple things. One, it comes down to the Mavericks' lack of passing and rhythm on offense. Their offense is very stagnant. This year, they're 27th in assists per game. Last year, they were 14th. They have the worst three-point shooting percentage in the league. Last year, they had the 10th in the league. And for me, I think the loss of Seth Curry has been more detrimental to them than they would have believed because they traded Steph for Josh Richardson in hopes that Josh Richardson would... The offense would be a little bit worse, but the defense would get tremendously better. Yeah, And the defense has pretty much stayed the same, and the shooting has got tremendously worse. worse. And I think the loss of Steven Silas was huge. He was the guy who was innovating a lot of their um, offensive like designs and motions on offense. So because of that loss of Steven Silas, I think it's been huge. And I think the player that's impacting the most is Kristaps Porzingis. We know that he hasn't been New York Kristaps in Dallas so far. But the reason for that is because I don't think they've been using him properly. Everybody feels like the answer to Kristaps being good is to post him up. He shoots 44% from post-up shots, so he's not a good post-up player. He's more of a face-up player. He's a perimeter-oriented big man, and Steven Silas maximized him, and you saw that stretch in the bubble where he was really good because 
they ran him in a lot of pick and rolls, a lot of pick and pops. What you see from Christian Wood this year is what Kristaps was doing last year for the Mavericks That's with Stephen Silas. You look at Christian Wood, he goes from a guy who was unknown by a lot of fans that just watched the game casually, but people who really paid attention knew this guy was good. Stephen Silas, his pitch to Christian Wood when signing with the Rockets was, I'm going to make you like Kristaps Porzingis. I'm going to make you play like Kristaps Porzingis. And you look at Christian Wood's numbers, it's been huge. Whether it's James Harden, Oladipo, or, or John Wall running to pick and roll with him, they always find shots. him. They always find him. And that's what I think is lost with the Mavericks offense. There isn't enough pick and roll, especially with Kristaps Porzingis, who I think strives on pick and rolls. And I think that's what's been missing. You know, they had the first offensive rating last year. They're 19th this year. The only players they lost was DeLon Wright and Seth Curry. Everybody mm-hmm. else stayed. When you look at 2019, Hardaway shot 40% from three. This year, he's shooting 40% from three. Finney Smith shot 37% from three. This year, he's shooting 33%. Kleba shot 37% last year. He's shooting 46% this year. Brunson shot 36% last year. Brunson shooting 39% this year. So it's not a huge drop-off. And even between Porzingis um, last year and this year, it's not a huge drop-off. It's only a 3% drop-off. And Luka is only a 2% drop-off. The real drop-off is Josh Richardson, where this year he's shooting 27% from three, and Seth is shooting 48% from three this year. So them losing Steph was bigger than they, they would have imagined. You know, they made those moves because they wanted to better their defense, but their defense has stayed the same, and they did not expect that. I'll say here, their their points per game is ranked twenty third. Their point differential is twenty second. Assists per game is twenty seventh. Steals per game is twenty third. Blocks per game is twenty third. Rebounds per game twenty eighth. Like they're bottom in almost everything. Almost everything they are like <laughs> literally almost bottom. They're, and I think that goes to what uh, you said with the Seth Curry. I think what he did coming off the bench for them was space the floor more, which allowed. Like, Luca, if you kind of watch the bubble games, how you were saying how they were running more pick and rolls and pick and pops with Luca and, and KP, and I think that when when you had Seth in the game and that wasn't working, you could find him for those open shots. And I think now that's kind of what they're missing is, like, that one guy to pick up the slack when they're when KP and Luca kind of aren't giving you what you want them to. Lack of chemistry has been very... Chemistry is a very key thing in a game. It helps defense. It helps pick and roll. It helps pick and roll defense. It helps you know where your player is going to be in spots. And I think that's what's really been hurting Dallas. I mean, you can look at the numbers. You can say this, that, and the third. But the drop-off from last year's offense to this year's offense, I know a lot of Dallas fans want to make it a Josh Richardson thing. But I think it's been a team in total. And like you said, losing Steven Silas, who was known as an offensive guru in this league, Porzingis being hurt coming back, he still has yet to get his legs up under. I think that's hurting them too. And Luca, I, I, I want to say this team has a weird system. You know, it, it it thrives a lot on what Luca does with the ball. And I think at a young age, that is that is very hard for a player to do. You know, always have the ball in his hands, always try to make the best decision. I think this team needs guys who can have the ball and make the right decisions. Multiple guys for this team to be effective. The lack of chemistry on both ends. Luca has been like. Luca has been playing great defensively, yeah. but the guys who should be playing great defensively, they've had some mislaps, they've had some errors. You know, Josh Richardson, 
not fighting over screens. He's over here def- letting Porzingis get put in pick-and-roll situations with players like Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, and stuff like that. And Porzingis just can't right now guard players on the wing, so they're easy to be beat. So I think the lack of chemistry and the fluidity in this offense isn't there right now. I know they can get it together because when you have a special talent like Luka, you're always going to be able to get it together. But I think this team right now is just not shooting the ball well. They're not being, as you said, being great playmakers as a whole. And they just, they got to figure it out because, like I said, they're literally not making the playoffs and they don't have a pick. So they're literally giving the Knicks everything they want because yeah. if they don't make the playoffs, what? Then they, they don't have much cap either. So it's going to be a tough situation that they're in. Also, too, another thing I think that is a big, what a big thing is why they're not winning games is effort. I think Luca came came on a post game interview and just said, "We're just simply not giving it enough," and I just think that's a big thing too. Like behind closed doors, like and it goes back to what Riv said: chemistry. If y'all are in the locker room and you and you're not getting along or in practice, things aren't working out and stuff, you're not gonna want to be hyped to go and play a game if things aren't going right outside of basketball. And you saying that makes me want to bring up two points. I want to talk about that Porzingis thing. Porzingis has not been a good defender this season. Uh, he gets hunted down, especially by guards. Chris Paul, the other night against the Suns, was abusing Chris Porzingis. <laughs> Chris Porzingis is, is a defensive liability right now. And mm. what I've noticed is that he doesn't give the effort on defense in terms of protecting the rim. Mm-hmm. Right now, I think that Dallas's best rim protector in that starting lineup is Maxi Kleba. Mm. He gives that effort. And he's a very underrated defender, too. I just think Kristaps has not been what they thought he was going to be, and I don't think they. Th- I I think that they thought Luca and KP's game styles were going to mesh it perfectly. Should, That's and what I'm saying. They kind of definitely should. It and seems they, like, and they just haven't meshed. And you talked about the chemistry thing. I mean, that was evident. I forgot who 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 it was against. I remember it was a primetime game, but where Luca passes to Trey Burke, Trey Burke misses the shot, Dallas gets the rebound. Passes that out to Kristaps, and Kristaps takes a deep three. Oh, you talk about in misses. the clutch, right? Yes. And Luca just stood there. And Luca got upset and pissed off because he didn't get that last shot or he didn't get the ball. He was either pissed off that he didn't get the last shot or Rick Carlisle didn't call a timeout. It was one of those things, but that type of leadership style Can't rubs people that. the wrong way because it, it makes it seem – because, I mean, Kristaps Porzingis, he's been struggling from three, but the shot that he took – I'm fine with. Me too. I know that Especially can, if you make it. Yes, because I know that he can make that shot. So you to can't hit, be for him to be slouching and all, you know, you should be hyping upset your team about it, up. it yeah. really goes to show about the chemistry of the team. And I think that maybe Luca's and Luca and KP's game styles do mesh together well, but it hasn't looked like it. And maybe it's not looking that way because they don't like each other that much off the court. Exactly. That can always be something. We don't know. But I'm not sure. I just think that there's a lot of stuff. You know, I talked about the stagnant offense. The defense has not been very good. It's been basically the same that it was last season. Steven Silas going, Seth Curry going. And overall, I just think that this offense is a very one-pass shoot offense. Mm -hmm. You know, you run a guy off the screen, that first pass he's shooting, or Luka goes into the lane and passes it out. It's a shot. There's not much movement. There's not much, there's not much ball movement within the offense. They're getting real predictable. It's a bunch of just whoever whoever gets the first pass is going to shoot the ball. And you have you brought in a guy in Josh Richardson who is a very isolated oriented offensive player. That's where he strives at. He's not a spot up shooter. So 
He's an isolation type player. Tim Hardaway, it seems like every time I'm looking up, he's taking a half court three. Always. Um, <laughs> Literally always. So he, shuck, he chucks up a lot of shots, and sometimes he's on, sometimes he's off. That's been the story of his career. Real inconsistent. So it's been a lot of things, and this offensive system has just looked very different than what it was last year. And they basically have the same team. So the reason, the, the fact that they're struggling this bad is kind of a shocker to everybody. Last year, per 100 possessions, Chris Porzingis on court, off court impact was a plus six point three and a plus three point zero. This year they're both negative. His on court is negative eight point four. This is per hundred possessions, so he's dropped immensely. That's a lot. And I, I, I don't want to blame it all on Porzingis. I think the injuries have definitely bugged him the wrong way, and I definitely. think not being fully healthy has definitely hurt him. He just wants to play. But I do. He he's been playing a hundred percent at center this year. Like that's his position. That's what he's been playing all year. So it. Like you said, they've been hunting him all year. They've just been putting him in pick and rolls. Like I said, Josh Richardson or Dorian Finney-Smith or Tim Hardaway, they're not fighting hard enough to get over a screen, therefore leaving Porzingis in bad matchups. And you, That's just chemistry. you got to exactly. know that your big man can't play defense that's right now. Or on Rick Carlisle, you got to put Maxi Kleby in the game. you got to put somebody else in the game that can do that. That Porzingis, I know Porzingis' offense is very – He's very talented. I know he can hit that shot, but sometimes you got to sacrifice offense for defense to get wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just don't think the answer for the Mavericks is to post up Porzingis as much as everybody is trying to urge it to happen. I just don't think that was never his game in New York, and it's not his game now. It's just a very surface-based analysis looking at a guy that's 7'3 and saying you should shoot more post-up shots. That's really all it is. But the Mavericks had to have a lot of struggles, and we're going to see if they figure it out this upcoming season. A team that has had some struggles but not much as of recently have been the Golden State Warriors, and I think that River can talk more in depth about this because this is his favorite team because he bandwagons the Warriors because of Steph Curry. Wow. And I know that on Twitter, River is very critical of Steve Kerr, and he recommended this segment, so... Riv, I want I, I want to ask yeah. you this Why question. Why are you putting you on the he's spot? So, he's like, crazy, bro. Like, you and, can't have ideas, bro? Is Steve Kerr costing the Warriors games? What do you think, Riv? Because you've been bashing him on Twitter a lot. <laughs> you are really a snake. Wow, he's going off on you, bro. Um, For the record, they're, they're not really my favorite team. I'm just a Steph Curry fan. <laughs> if Steph doesn't play, I don't acknowledge them at all that day. So that's that's it. Um, yes, I do believe Steph Kerr. I'm still, oh, wow. I do believe Steve Kerr is definitely costing them a few games. And I want to, I want to get into that a little bit. And it's not, Steve Kerr has always been talk. Katie is, we start, remember when Katie was talking about Steve Kerr as a coach? Yeah. Talking about how he makes bad decisions, how he's, he's very bad in situations. I think we're starting to see a lot of that this year. And with this team, you were seeing that St Steve Kerr was going to get a lot of eyes on him because he didn't have clay this year. Draymond's kind of old. We're going to see the first time where Steph Curry is come back off an of injury. Yeah, he doesn't have an All Star next to him, so exactly. it was going to be a really lot. Of, him. It was going to be a lot of eyes on Steve Curry. And what we've seen this year is Steve Curry makes a lot of bad decisions in situations. It's kind of like in football when you see a coach have bad clock management, or you see a coach like, make, "What are you doing?" Yeah, like he Steve Curry makes a lot of bad situ, uh, subs and situations. For example, Golden State played Boston the other day. It was a great game, great back and back forth. And they forward. were going at it. Mm -hmm. Steve Kerr starts the fourth quarter, no Steph Curry. They go to state. They're doing good. They're doing good. They're doing good. He His problem in, in games like that, where the games are getting out of hand, where you start to see the other team fading oh, out, he refuses to put Steph Curry in the game. 
And I get it. He's trying to hold Steph Curry. He's trying to keep Steph Curry's career going further. He doesn't want to play him 35, 36 minutes because he wants to keep him healthy for the next year. I understand that. But in a situation where you can win the game, the team is down 6-7. They lose momentum. They need their guy, their leader, to come into the game. And you have him sitting out there and letting Brad Wanamaker play the whole time. It's embarrassing. Not to mention... The starting lineup of Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and James Wiseman is horrible. It is actually one of the <laughs> worst starting lineups in the league by the numbers. It's just a fact. You can look it up. It's literally one of the worst starting lineups in the league. Starting Damon Lee or even starting Juwan Toscano, who he has been doing, has been the right move. Going with a small ball lineup with Wiseman, obviously he had to do it, and Kevon Looney. Starting Kevon Looney is horrible, too, with Draymond. I don't know why he thought that was right, but... Starting Damian Lee or Jawan Toscani has been the right move because Kelly Oubre is more, he hasn't been good with the first unit. He just gets the ball, he chucks up, he kind of has 3D vision, he doesn't look anywhere else. Putting him on the bench with the second unit is is honestly better because you let him run and operate or you let Wiggins do it. But the fact that Steve Curry, he just makes bad situ, he makes bad decisions in situations where all you have to do is put your star in and let him be a star. Let him be a leader. And that's why I think Steve Curry, I think the championships were great. I think KD and Steph Curry were a great duo. He won his championship. He got his flowers. But I think this year we're starting to see that Steve Curry is not really that great coach that we thought he was going to be. See, I'll say this. Uh, first, his name is Juan. Sorry. His name is Juan Toscano. Juan. <laughs> so Juan, Juan Toscano Anderson. He, he has been playing pretty good. Um, uh, so I agree with most of your points. I think Steve Kerr has been leaving Steph Curry on the bench for way too long in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I think he has been le- he has been keeping Oubre in the game with too Steph long. way too long. And Oubre, uh, he's better on the second unit because he can play freely. When he's with Steph, he thinks too much and he, mm-hmm. he you know, he... He kind of has good. to try to match his game. I feel like he tries to do that. But I, I kind of agree with why Steve Kerr puts Oubre in there because... Ubre has to learn sooner than later. They haven't had many practice reps. So this is the only time they can really practice that chemistry. And you look at when Ubre gets going, he can win the Warriors games like he did against the Mavericks where he Finally. scored 40. Yeah. You know, for me, I just want to mention this real quick outside of the Steve Kerr conversation. Um, if there's one player that analytics has not affected is Draymond Green. You know, you know that in terms of PER, he has the worst, if not one of the worst PERs on the Warriors team, on the team. But I think in terms of most important players, he's their second most important player. He's averaging 6.6 assists per game. And you saw it when Draymond got back for the Warriors early this year is when they started to win games because he puts everybody in perfect positions. And I know that he's scoring like not even, he's scoring like four points per game or five points per game, but he just makes such a huge impact on the game and him more than Steve Kerr, I think, is the reason why the Warriors have started to really do their thing. But I agree with you. I think if it wasn't for Steve Kerr, Steph Curry probably has a couple of 40 or 50-point games this season. But because Steve Kerr has been very hesitant to play Steph Curry for a lot of minutes a game, Curry has not kind of he has not been at the top of this MVP discussion. Because if he plays Steph Curry 36, 37 minutes a game, Curry's easily maybe top three in the MVP discussion. See, I kind of feel like Steve Kerr. Um, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I, like, I do think that there's like you got to what you got to play or coach to win. You can't be trying to save someone's career. It's kind of like um, 
when Jordan had that one season where he was got that foot injury, came back, they're down two, three seconds left, or whatever, it was like six seconds left. Like He's like, put me in the game. You know, like, you got a coach to win. But I also do feel like, let's say he keeps him in for too long and then Steph Curry starts to, like, do bad or, like, he doesn't give, he's not hitting the shots that he needs to hit for his team. And then I kind of feel like if he's keeping him in there for too long, it's like, well, why is Steve Kerr, why is he doing that to Steph? Like, why is he making him look bad? But now he's, like, sitting him too much, and it's like, well, why isn't he, like, letting him go? I want, I, I want to say, no, and it's, it's Steph Curry is one of the rare players in the NBA where no matter. I love he, Steph. Yeah, he cannot hit one shot in the game. <laughs> He'll affect the game just because he's out there. Because Uber is not hitting anything. Nothing. They're leaving him wide open. Wiggins has been actually surprisingly really good. You know, defensively, he's been hitting 40%. Yeah. Three, so he's been really he's good. He's playing his role really Draymond well. Green, they're not guarding him, obviously, because they know he's not going to. He, he has a wide open lane. He won't take it. He will pass <laughs> that ball up. So it's like you you got one you got one guy shadowing Curry and everybody's really zoning in on where Curry's gonna be. That's true. So I think just having him out there opens up the, the passing the lane and opens up the cutting with Ubre. That's where he should be doing. He should be cutting, getting open lanes because Draymond's gonna hit you. So you should be getting those lanes, and that's why he's always dunking on somebody every game because he has those passing lanes. Wiggins, he's gonna get his. I just think. Steve Kerr, what he, he likes to do is he likes to play Steph the first quarter and then have Wiggins run out there with the second unit and be that yeah. number one guy. I, I think it works sometimes. It doesn't work sometimes. But against the good teams, like— it's probably you, not going to work. Yeah, you got to, like, ah, just—against Boston, he he runs—it's two minutes left. He runs a play for Andrew Wiggins to take a three. I don't know why he did it, but he did it. And it was just like, you know, Steph is hot. Like you gotta give him, you gotta give him the ball. This is a win now. You need this win. This is a very crucial game. This is against Boston. Stay with one. Yeah, you 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 have him no ropes. Like it's just, I, it's he makes just a lot of like a lot of bad decisions and a lot of things Kevin Durant said about him are starting to become true. And I think when Clay gets back next year, it's gonna be crazy because he's probably gonna mask all of this Steve true. Kerr hate and he's probably gonna put that away because Steph and Clay are probably gonna save him. But I think Steve Kerr has a problem with situations and how to really manage situations and how to be that coach. I think – I don't even know if he can really adapt to it. I think just trusting in the fact that Steph Curry is going to be okay and he's going to be ready for next year. You got to just this year play to win because you guys are still a playoff team. Exactly. You don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the year. And it's kind of funny – my bad to cut you off, but yeah. it's kind of funny for, like, to see his career and see who he was around his whole career and, like, play with a great like MJ and be coached by Phil Jackson like you would kind of think like he would have learned a thing or two on I mean, like I think he has on like how to respectfully <laughs> no I I get it like obviously he, the they were a dynasty like they won a lot of rings but I'm just saying like now and like a like when your second best player is there and then like I feel like what Steph brings to that team like kind of what Riv said with the passing and drawing like having a shadow or whatever his, what he does for the Warriors doesn't, like, you can't put it on a stat sheet. You know what I'm saying? Like, his yeah. present, you can't grade presence. That's just something that a player does. Like, the greats do that. Draymond, he brings a presence to their defense where, you know, he's like that the the anchor of their defense. So I just, I just feel like like what Riv was just saying. And situate, like, basketball is all about situations, especially coming down to, like, two minutes, close game. Like you need your closing lineup, and you you need your best player out there. Like regardless, you got like it just comes down to coaching to win. Dog, he's running ISO plays for James Wiseman. Kevin Durant like is a rookie. A, Kevin Durant, we can all agree, is a basketball savant. He he said those things about Steve Kerr 
another coach that people didn't really pay attention that he said similar things about was Nick Nurse. I mean, mm. when Kevin Durant talked about Nick Nurse, Kevin Durant said that Nick Nurse was a very good motivator, but in terms of X's and O's, he's not very good. And, I wow. mean, that's showing this season when the Raptors have been struggling and we see that Nick Nurse, wow. he's a motivator, but he's not a guy that's, you know, a very X's and O's guy. He's not going to run up two good plays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas a guy like Brad Stevens really is. <laughs> he's, he's yeah. He's great at And Quinn Snyder. You know, you got a couple guys like that. Mm-hmm. I think the Celtics are so good because of Brad Stevens. Yeah. Because he so does too. get those good rotations out in good situations. I think you saw last night when you when Draymond's running the offense, you saw the 15 cents of how he just unleashed yeah. his will and became that playmaker that they need. I think that is what they need to start doing, that small ball lineup. That was always the Warriors' key, small ball lineup. Yeah. That's the thing that worked for him. I think just Steve Kerr is just a guy who's just – very bad at rotations and very bad at situations. That's what I'm saying. He doesn't yeah, know how to adapt to the situation. I think that's going to kill them. Right now, they're 12 and 10. You know, they I, I don't I think they've played pretty well up to competition. They got a couple stinkers, but they've won a couple good ones against the LA teams, both LA teams. So, shout out to them. We'll see how the season goes. But Kerr has been horrible. As Is right Clay now. coming back at all this year? No, no. he's gone. He's, he's done this year. Yeah, he's, he's done. done he's been on the uh, team with them, though, traveling with yeah, them yeah. and stuff. But he's not playing this year. Oh, no. Nah. So this is going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. This was episode 65. John came here as a guest. Shout I don't know if you John. remember the Always appreciate it, man. I think it's a light blue one. The other one. Light blue, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, giving John an applause. Um, wait, is that? Hold on. That's LeVar Ball. <laughs> Yeah, I always appreciate you guys having me on here, man. Now, yeah, so this was a great episode. As always, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast, on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod. You guys can donate to us on Patreon.com slash Pick Aside Podcast. If you are listening to this on a podcast streaming platform, if you just scroll down on the description, it's going to show our Patreon link. And on our YouTube, it's going to show it as well, as well as all our social media links. And don't forget to review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. I mean, this has been a really great month. A lot of, of our episodes have been downloaded a lot, and we numbers appreciate you up. guys. Now, the numbers yep. was crazy like two weeks ago, I think, on our basketball. Yeah, we just hit 1,000 uh, downloads on our podcast all there time. There we go. There we go. So, it's Let's pretty get the little applause going. Look at the little applause button going. <laughs> <laughs> so, we appreciate every, all of you guys for watching. This was a great episode. And we'll see you guys next time.